1: Everybody, and welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibbiani, I'm a film critic for the internet, critically acclaimed.net, IGN, the rap, everybody calls me Bibbs. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, everybody Everybody calls me Bibbs. I don't, I am defiant. Yeah, everybody who counts calls me Bibbs. Oh, I don't count. Oh, well, you could call okay. me Bibbs if you wanted. I don't want to, though.
2: Then you I'm, don't.
0: I'm, I'm I'm an outlier that way. My name is Whitney Seibold, and people call me the outlier.
2: I too uh, Not bad, actually.
0: <laughs> I too am a critic for
1: the internet and uh, I host a, a myriad of podcasts with you, William. That's right. Mm-hmm. we We have many. Uh, in addition to the podcast I'm listening to right now, we uh, host critically acclaimed. we review new movies and do oddball double features. Uh, we host several exclusive podcasts through our patreon mm-hmm. patreon.com slash cancelled too soon. Uh, we have only the best where we review every Oscar-nominated best picture. Every film nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards, in order. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, on top of that, we have the Cancel Too Soon monthly movie. I have a new uh, uh, podcast I do over a Ticklish Business, where we review movies that are based on true stories, mostly in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're very busy. And in fact, we're so busy that this episode is actually kind of doubly late Um, Because we we already pushed it back a week Yeah, last week we were supposed to be reviewing uh, the topic of this week's episode And the show was just so dang long and Whitney had to go out of town That uh, we we pushed it back, we did a pilot episode for a very weird sitcom called Where's Rodney?
2: (laughs) Thank you, Rodney
1: (laughs) But uh, uh he's, he's buried in Westwood. we uh, uh He we, would appreciate that, Joe. Thank you. When all was said and done, it still took us a long time to finish the series. Some cancelled series are longer than others, just because hmm. the episodes are longer, they lasted a full season opposed to a half season. And the show that we're about to review is a very long, very epic television series, like in a yeah. very impressive yeah, yeah. way. Um, It is a time travel sci-fi series that aired opposite 60 Minutes in 1982 and 1983. It's a little something we like to call
2: Voyagers. Imagine having time in the palm of your hand to be able to team up with the greatest heroes and make love to the prettiest heroines. If anybody knows women, it's Bob. So jump in on the action, adventure, and fun days at the time of your life with Voyagers, Sunday to 7, 6, on
1: NBC. It has an exclamation point at the end, so you have to say <laughs> Voyagers. I love that, that commercial we just listened to because they're trying to make it sound like it's a sexy show.
0: It's not a sexy show. This, this is a show for Saturday morning after the cartoons ended.
1: This is a very ambitious mm. show. In fact, it's like partly brought to you by like Scholastic. Yeah. But which... It was produced by Scholastic. I don't know. They, I don't, got a,
0: they got a vanity card at the end. I,
1: I don't know if it was only produced by them as my uh, No, no, no. Uh, but, like, yeah, this is in this interesting sort of middle ground. It's it's The production is big. It's a big, expensive show. It's not a cheap oh. show like you'd make for kids.
0: Well. <laughs> for, for a primetime adventure
1: show, oh. they did they, every episode needs costumes. Every episode needs locations. Mm. This is a relatively expensive show. Uh, it's certainly not a cheap one. On top of that, there are some visual effects, so you got that going on. You have a, a bevy of
2: recognizable rotating, actors Rotating
1: guest in. stars. And uh, and they shoot it on the Universal backlot, and you can recognize a lot of locations yeah, yeah. if you're familiar with it. But yeah, it's it's an ambitious program. It is a time travel series about a young boy. We meet him in the pilot episode. Uh, He's played by Mino Panucci. Panucci. Panucci? Pol- yeah. I it was Panucci. Nope, Pellucci. Pellucci. With an L. It is. Uh, (laughs) You might recognize him from a couple of TV shows at the time. We ran into him when we reviewed Manimal. He was in the Scrimshaw episode. He was the annoying kid. Uh, He was also in the movie The Amityville Horror. Uh, He's way less annoying
0: here. In fact, I kind of like him in this one. He's actually
1: really good in this show. Uh, He plays an orphan boy. His parents recently died. And when we're introduced to him, uh, he's like... Been taken in by his cousins or, or, or his aunt aunt and, uncle.
0: His aunt and his uncle, yeah. Um,
1: and they hate his ever-loving guts. Like, they're just openly talking about how they can get rid of him because he's annoying and he won't stop crying. So he's miserable. And then into his life pops, not unlike the Time Bandits, which mm-hmm. was only like a year or two before this, uh, a time-traveling hero played by the great John Eric Hexum, <laughs> A, an actor who, Wh- who is, we'll talk about in some depth in a minute. His
0: That's his real name, by the way. That's a great name. And that's not his, like, the moniker he gave to himself when he founded a metal band.
1: And that's not even, like, him going by his middle name. His first name is a hyphenate. John Eric. And Hexum. his last name is H-
0: H-E-X-U-M. That's a great
1: name. And he is... And, he, and God damn is he handsome. He is a handsome, tall, mm. muscular, brawny, big voice, like, deep baritone, mm. likable... Action hero. I, I, I gotta admit,
0: I got a big crush
1: on John Eric uh, I would be yeah.
0: worried if anyone didn't.
1: Like he just seems cool. Yeah. Uh, he he comes in like dressed like a pirate. Uh, and he oh has... he doesn't
0: just come in dressed like a pirate. That's that's his outfit. Yeah, well, he dresses like a pirate. And they explain later on that he was a pirate. And um, if you read the uh, the liner notes on the back of the box, it says that he is a time traveling pirate. Although he's really just. Well, he's a Voyager, and we'll get to that.
1: Well, there's a big mythology, and we'll get to it. I'm trying to well, set up the basic d- premise. There's a Give sketchy me a mythology. Give me a minute. There's all actually right. weird... Yeah. There's weird stuff. I want to tell you all mm. about it, and let's start at the beginning, shall we? It's a very good place to start. Well, I'm trying, and you keep interrupting. <laughs> The kid is the kid's life is interrupted by a time traveler who just literally like falls into his skyscraper apartment. He's got a small time traveling, looks like a pocket watch, mm. uh, and a big old textbook that he carries with him. Mina Penucci's, uh Palucci's dog eats the textbook, and uh, Mina Palucci falls out of a off the building, and John Eric Hexum just leaps after him, grabs him, and then they fall through time. <laughs> And, uh, that's when the kid finds out that our hero, Phineas Bog... Not Phileas Fogg. Although they do explain why there's a similarity.
0: Luckily they do. I'm glad they addressed it.
1: (laughs) They wait till, like, the last episode.
0: Phileas Fogg was the, the main character from Around the World in 80 Days.
1: It's a very adventurous name. Yeah. Uh... He is a Voyager. A Voyager is a time-traveling hero who pops around the timeline correcting things that are wrong. His time-travel device, which is like a little tiny globe that allows you to, like, sort of pinpoint where you're supposed to go, and a dial that sets the date and
0: time and year. It looks like the Golden Compass from The Golden Compass. Not Yeah, a little bit.
1: And it's got a green light and a red light. And when you pop into a new timeline, if the light is red, something is wrong in history, and you need to sort of push it along. Mm. Now... Most shows would be content to just have our dashing hero and his boy sidekick just fall into a historical situation, meet someone famous, and solve a problem. Hmm. Not Voyagers. Voyagers makes it a little bit more complicated because almost every episode involves them getting involved in some big historical crisis and then using their time machine to evade danger, and then wandering into another period in history, getting sidetracked by that, only to return to the original storyline at the end. So mm. every episode is like two timelines, and two big adventures, occasionally a quick joke one. Like a quick mm. joke adventure, like, oh we just popped in, Isaac Newton is reading, but he's not under the apple oh, tree, right. we so have to get have him to under, the, him apple under tree. the apple tree. That's cute, but that only takes like five minutes and then the story can mm. progress. Uh, and
0: and while while that's fun the the b story almost never relates to the a story it's yeah. just an aside
1: every once in a like while there's one
0: one where uh mino pelucci lands up in front of um louis pasteur and gets bitten by a rabid dog and they have to race across town to have louis pasteur overcome his crippling self doubt so he can invent the cure for rabies really fast that's actually a pretty good idea for a story but that's that's the distraction story from the A story that had already started yeah. at Pearl Harbor in that episode.
1: Uh, no, 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 that wasn't Pearl Harbor. Was that, that the Pearl Harbor? No, episode? the Pearl Harbor they brought episode. Somebody with them. The Pearl Harbor episode was the Wild Bill Cody episode.
2: Oh, that's right. Oh, uh, okay. Buffalo Bill Cody.
1: No, this one was. Uh, uh, Someone had stolen the Mona Lisa and absconded on the Titanic and they had to rescue the Mona Lisa so that it wouldn't be lost forever. And then in the middle of the Titanic episode, they like teleport out of danger, only to have to fall into Louis Pasteur's office and Mina Bellucci gets bitten by a rabid dog. That is in the office. And then it's, they have to yeah. do that for like twenty minutes. And <laughs> it's always an adventure. It's I'll an, give an, it that. But it's it's a weird structure for a show and because And it's
0: frustrating because you want it to relate at least thematically to what's going on. Louis Pasteur has nothing to do with the Titanic.
1: Yeah. And a couple of times they do try to relate it and it doesn't work at all. Mm. Uh this show lasted twenty episodes, they are hour-long episodes. We could delve into it at great length, but we're actually going to speed through a lot of uh, the individual storylines. Well, Um, there'd there'd be too much otherwise. Yeah, Yeah. it's just not feasible. Um, Like, it's it's a long, long, long show. And actually... Uh, just to get you started off right, it was a pretty successful show. Mm. Um, it was good counter-programming with 60 Minutes, ended up getting a 17 share off the Nielsen ratings, and the reason why it was canceled, allegedly, mm. uh, was NBC was convinced that they could compete with 60 Minutes with their own news show. It was around a time when 60 Minutes had... Um, yeah. It, it, it had made some mistakes And people were sort of con- wondering How seriously right. we should take 60 minutes um, And so they cancelled this show And replaced it with a new show That did way worse in the ratings <laughs> oh, um, that's too bad. It we, is too bad We should do that show on cancelled too soon uh, that, that, one, that, I, it, that one lasted two seasons Oh, rats, alright uh, Anyway, this aired on NBC from October 3rd, 1982 Through July 10th, 1983 It was created by James D. Period, who we're going to run into quite a bit. He also created Misfits of Science, mm. created a show called Defying Gravity, which I think we have a copy of. Uh, he created Forever Night, which is probably his biggest hit. Oh, wow, okay. But before he did Forever Night, he tried it out with Rick Springfield. There was a failed pilot called Nick Knight, which was the pilot you for You've got to for- be kidding me. I uh, know, oh, Rick Springfield. With Rick Springfield. I believe it's Rick Springfield. I'm looking it up, but I believe it was Rick Springfield and, uh, yeah, he, he, he was a vampire cop and, uh, <laughs> oh, that one geez. didn't take off. So we're going to run into, uh, James D. Perriott oh. a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, yeah. 1989, Nick Knight.
2: You're uh, looking up information. Uh, I am. Just making intro- yeah. Rick Springfield is Nick Springfield. Knight. I'm not crazy. Oh,
1: All right. Absolutely insane. Why not Rick Springfield? We, we've, we've right. seen him before. So we'll do that eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah and uh, and i think we and there really are only two main characters in the cast uh john eric Hexum had a very short career he died really young uh, he, well, and, and he he died in a bizarre on-set accident
0: with a, a, a fake pistol.
1: Yeah. So after Voyagers, so Voyagers was his first like big role. Mm-hmm. Um, he really didn't do any acting to speak of before that. He had done you know like some radio DJ stuff, and he had a good voice for it. He yeah, ended he, up doing. He sounds like he sounds like and looks a lot like Shadow Stevens. I can see that. Mm. Uh, he co-starred in a TV movie called Making of a Male Model opposite Joan Collins. Um, but his did he get to make out with Joan Collins I hope so oh, I, I, bet, I bet he did uh, if I were Joan Collins I would put that in my contract that I get to make <laughs> out with John Eric Hexum but then he followed up uh, uh, Voyagers with a show called Cover Up which has a very silly premise about uh, two secret agents who travel the world and their mm. cover is she's a photographer and he's a male model and he played the male model mm. the show only lasted one season because part way through it uh, John Eric Hexum was handed a gun he, in the course of the scene he was supposed to load a pistol Yeah. So it was partially a working gun and there were blanks in it. And in what allegedly was him being playful, Mm -hmm. he put the gun to his head like Russian roulette. There was only one bullet in the chamber. And blanks don't fire a bullet. But they do release a concussive burst. Well,
0: there's still an explosion. There's yeah. no bullet,
1: but it still
0: lights gunpowder on fire, and there's still a little bit of wadding to keep the gunpowder
1: in place. Yeah. So John Eric Hexum, and I hate to start this off as such mm. a downer note because it's a really fun show, but he he died in a very tragic onset set accident. Mm. Um, and his, I, I will say this: it's 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 heartening to know. That this incredibly like strapping man, he 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 was an organ donor and he's his organs like saved many people's lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's actually like that's actually like well documented. Documented like like where where 43-year-old grandmother. Where where his organs went. So yeah. His
0: his body saved so many people. So yeah.
1: So even even in death, (laughs) he we can look up to him as a bit of a hero. And Um, we
0: can look at Voyagers as sort of his heyday. This is his his big moment to shine, and he shines. Fin- Phineas Bog. A, I love that he has a kind of an, an embarrassing name. <laughs> uh, he's like a big, lovable dummy. Yeah. And he's a Voyager, and Voyagers, we do get to meet sort of the enclave of Voyagers, the, this, mm. the uh, organization he works for. But mostly but it's just him. Mo- mostly it's just him, and... Supposedly, they're like really worldly. They know a lot about history. They're traveling through time for goodness' sake. And they, they're and supposed there's to take no, classes. And there's yeah, they go to they go to colleges, and they they're supposed to know history, but they're also given these guidebooks, which are essentially world history in a single tome. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing it's like electronic, but we it, they're just regular books. It's a regular book. Say. Probably
1: the print is really tiny. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um.
0: But Phineas Bogg is not sophisticated. He's not worldly. He's not cosmopolitan. He's not even really basically intelligent in a lot of ways.
1: Like, he's he's a guy you want around you in a fight. But Mm. every time they run into, like, anything in world history, he keeps the kid around because he loses his book. Mm. The idea is his uh, time travel device, it's called an Omni. uh, It's only supposed to go up to 1970. Like, that's, like, his jurisdiction. Like, he can't (laughs) go beyond that. Um, Although he does go back to ancient Egypt, so... It goes back pretty far, but it only goes up so high. I I assume they would have explained that someday. They would have thrown away a line explaining why there's a cutoff, but... The cutoff basically is... No, the cutoff basically exists to explain why he can't just take uh, Mino Pellucci back. Back to his... He's from 1982 he takes him uh, uh, away but he can't his Omni was malfunctioning that's why he was in 1982 in the first place Mm. and now he can't get the kid back fortunately or strike that unfortunately he left the book back in uh, Mina Pellucci's time Mm. Fortunately, Minapaluchi is a bit of a history wunderkind and actually knows a lot about history. And almost everywhere they go, he's pretty quick to figure out when and where and what the date is and why this is an important time in someone's historical figure's life.
0: And it's presented in this brazenly educational way, Mm -hmm. if I can call something brazenly educational.
1: Uh, (laughs) Dashingly educational.
0: Well, it it was in that way that... uh, shows from the 80s had to be educational. There was a certain percentage of shows that uh, were intended for kids that were required by law to offer educational content. Mm-hmm. So it's like, hey, I recognize that hat. And it's like Mino Pellucci turns to the camera. This must be 1850. And that character <laughs> over there is you know... He doesn't uh,
1: literally turn to the is, camera but that's why he look, has to say it in the
0: There's President Lincoln. Let's go say hello.
1: <laughs> yeah. But he, you know it, it's a tough gig to basically have a role that requires you to say like, half your dialogue is exposition. Well, but he's a very likable, charismatic kid. And what I like about him is he's a geek about history. He's excited. He's always like, ooh, Billy the Kid, yeah, That's neat. Joe Lewis, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, whatever it is, he's super excited every single time. And that is a really uh, uh, infectious hmm. attitude. And the chemistry that Mino Pellucci and John Eric Hexum develop over the course of of this series is actually pretty cool because initially the first couple episodes, they really try to push it like Phineas Bogg is going to be Jeffrey Jones's dad. Yeah. Um, but. Je- f- Jeffrey, that's Mino Pellucci's character. Yeah, it's Jeffrey We're just going to call him Mino because that's who he is it, to us. But um, but um, over the course of it, the, he, they really do feel like older and younger brothers. And yeah, in fact, yeah. as I was watching the show, I started, because I had a much older brother. Okay. We don't have a lot in common. He moved out when I was very young. And John Eric Hexham is kind of the older brother I always wanted. Like he's (laughs) he's 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 heroic, he's dashing, he's a jock, you know, like you Mm. know he plays he probably played football but he's also someone you could convince to play dungeons and dragons with you and he'd get a little into it. <laughs> you know, like he he wouldn't he wouldn't convert to dungeons and dragons but mm. he would enjoy the afternoon you spent playing dungeons and dragons. Yeah, yeah. That is John Eric Hexum and they really do Complement each other well. John Ericson is constantly getting distracted by girls and adventure. Oh god. He is an insufferable skirt chaser. Oh my god! But uh, without like, being too sleazy about it, which I appreciate. Well, I,
0: I think we don't read him as sleazy because he's such a charming lad mm-hmm. and you know just a, a strapping, handsome fellow. He's a complete creep. He creeps all over every There's, woman he sees, including be, Cleopatra, for God's sake. Well,
1: Okay, but in all fairness, some of them, and granted, this is just the writing of the show, and mm. as you heard from the commercial, they're trying to make it like, eh, may fall in love with ladies from all over. <laughs> it's not really about that, but yeah, every episode, someone basically throws themselves at Phineas Bogg, mm. often more than one, and... That's part of this very adolescent fantasy of it. Mm. I think I appreciate that the show plays it off like this is actually a character flaw in Phineas Bog well, like they, this isn't like cool like he's just kind of stupid and in fact one of the reasons he says he wasn't paying attention in school was he was distracted by an attractive uh, a fellow student mm-hmm. and he just didn't just study co- constantly staring at a hot he, block he was figured I'll, I'll have the book I'll coast on charm what's the worst that could happen and this and is what happened did you notice that like maybe
0: 90% of the women he's constantly chasing are like really pale blondes with blue eyes yeah yeah that, that was just sort of his type i guess
1: i guess so yeah. um it's <laughs> or, in, or it was
0: the casting director's type in, in
1: many respects it's a very typical 1980s mm-hmm. adventure show it's very episodic uh, yeah. lots of character actors of the week many of whom we've seen before and we'll see again but we do get to stop and address some of the questions
0: not the ones i would like but some of the <laughs> questions that this premise uh arises like
1: who are the Voyagers? Yeah. Well,
0: it ter- we get to learn a little bit about their their enclave. Yeah, I was and- worried
1: that they would never get to it, but about halfway through the season, mm-hmm. we do get to we get the trial of Phineas Bogg. and basically, it's the clip show. It's the clip show. But they managed to suss <laughs> it. But they managed to give us a little something new, which is we meet other Voyagers. Mm-hmm. We spend some time with them. We learn a bit about their bureaucracy. Um, we'll talk a bit about that that episode when we run it through, and mm-hmm. then finally, by the end of it we finally get an evil Voyager, which mm. I think they probably should have introduced a little sooner because this the formula... You start realizing that when you run through two or even three major historical figures in an episode mm. and you're doing 20-episode seasons... You're gonna run out. Oh goodness, sake. Like no, Eventually, you're not gonna run out of history. You're not gonna run out of history, but you're gonna run out of big. Oh, I know that person. Yeah. Like by season four, you're gonna start getting a little obscure. If you're doing three <laughs> an episode, you're like, doing, that's they, true. They ran through like five American presidents in the first season. Like, well,
0: there there were more. <laughs> Get through saying. all of them. They were the ones who accidentally infected William Henry Harrison. They can do a whole episode oh, about my that. God. <laughs>
1: It's no, like, you'll he, be fine, you'll be he, fine, just go out and take, give that speech in the rain. Yeah.
0: Well, it was in the snow and he had no coat. Yeah, it was in yeah, the snow, yeah. I thought it
1: was the rain, whatever. It's, we'd be terrible Voyagers.
0: Uh, no, I'd, I'd be the Mino Pellucci to your John, Ac- John Eric Haxum. Thank you! <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a really nice compliment,
0: you're, you're, you you. You're the studly hero and I'm the little dork who gets to correct your little, little uh,
1: foibles. So, uh, in the first episode, uh, aptly titled Voyagers... Mm. Um, we already set up the basic premise. Uh, The first thing they do is they fall into Egypt right along the Nile, and a little Uh, baby's in a Uh. basket. Well, well,
0: to be fair, they fall into uh, a river in California, and then there's a little white baby in a basket, and somehow they figure out that it's
1: Moses. (laughs) Look, you have the universal backlot. You're going to shoot on the universal backlot. Yeah, if
0: you're going to (laughs) shoot we are going to shoot on location, you have to go to Pasadena. That's nope. as far as we can go. No
1: less than Cecil B. DeMille once said, if you want to film anywhere in the world, you don't have to leave California. <laughs> He's <laughs> right, you know. You can get away with it, especially on TV. Um, so, um, Unless
0: it's a, like you want to shoot in the Arctic and it's an unusually mild winter.
1: Um, they also, uh, after saving Baby Moses and making sure that the Pharaoh finds him because everything turned out okay. Yeah, the
0: ba- <laughs> Baby Moses just gets stuck on the... On the shore, so they just
2: they push them along. Push them
1: along, and that's it. Yeah, so
2: and indeed,
0: that's that's the premise of the show. That as Phineas Bogg explains it, history is wrong, and we push it along. Yeah, just give it a little nudge. Mm-hmm. And us- usually, it's in a way that they wouldn't expect. Like the Wright brothers are having trouble inventing a plane because they're on the outs. Why are they on the outs? over a woman yeah so they have to solve the wright brothers romantic problems so that the plane will be invented so dog fighters will be invented in time for world war one
1: yeah so they first and they and they they do manage to make this work they go to world war one world war one is not going as planned and they find out it's because no one is using airplanes mm. and airplanes haven't been invented because the wright brothers had, were part of a love triangle so, John Eric Hexum has to, like,
0: I love that that, seduce the woman. But that's that's again. the crisis. Like, we're losing World War... Like, everything's gonna go fine until World War One, and we're gonna lose World War One because the plane wasn't invented. You'd think that would have bigger repercussions than missing dogfighters. Like, other things would have happened. Maybe World War One would not have happened. Causality is a little strange well, in this And it's show.
1: always weird when you think about it, like, they'll... They'll immediately solve a big historical problem, like they'll mm. rescue a general who wasn't supposed to die on Pearl Harbor, but did in this timeline. Mm. And then they go to another timeline, and history is already wrong. I'm like, where's the correct timeline? I started wondering mm. if maybe they were popping in and out of alternate realities, and they were just well, trying to fix everything. And It, it, also it, raises it brings the... up
0: the, the notion of fatalism. Yeah. Like, w- they say, we have to help history along. This book has what history is supposed to be. Why? Why does history need to be shaped the way it was in the book? I mean, I understand it's because it's the way we, the audience, knows it, mm-hmm. and they have to sort of make sure it matches the history we learned in fifth grade, which is you know the, the primary audience for the show, really. Sure. Uh, but 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 why? Why does it have to be that way? And yeah. but and what then if it they,
1: was better the other way. Yeah. I mean, like, why people,
0: Why aren't they going back like, and oh, no, correcting certain die. things in
1: history? People or, will die. Literally, everyone dies in history. Yeah, like, that's... literally everyone in history has died and will eventually die. So, when you're looking at it on the big scale of things, oh. I'm not saying, I, you know, that, like, it wouldn't be better if fewer people died horribly, of course. Mm. But, like, it oh. raises a lot of philosophical questions about only... how much right we have to change history.
0: And they they do uh, address it in one episode. I think it's the Titanic episode, where yeah. they, they realize the ship is going to sink and they have an opportunity to save the ship. And... And Phineas Bogg only says, I mean, those people already died. It happened. Yeah. It's like, well, but things are going wrong all the time. Couldn't this just be a
1: wrong thing that we fix? There's a, uh, there's a, frankly, a very distinct and obvious parallel here. And it, I'm surprised we haven't brought it up yet. Uh, this is an American Doctor Who. Doctor yeah, who was a, absolutely it Doctor is. Who uh, if you don't watch Doctor Who you mm. should it's really great but uh it's it's a, some of it is quite good <laughs> it, lately it's been pretty consistent yeah. and uh, it's a very long-running British mm. sci-fi series about an alien calls himself the Doctor. He has a time machine and he always brings along mostly a human sidekick. Mm. Sidekick changes and so does the Doctor, but whatever.
0: The spaceship Uh, looks like a prop they found in the BBC closet. The origins of everything in Doctor Who is based on, like, budget constrictions.
1: (laughs) But it was originally just old man and kids or young adults Mm. and they fly around the universe or they fly around history meeting famous people and it's supposed to be very, very educational. And over time, they developed a very rich Mythology. Mm. Now, in Doctor Who, the thing they came up with for stuff like the Titanic or Mount Vesuvius, these very famous tragedies, they which theoretically like
0: hu- hub events or some such um, thing. Oh,
1: I, I knew what they were called until you said something.
0: Oh, P- um, pivot point, historical fulcrums, just like turning points. Yeah, basically that are the, fixed in history. Fixed, that's yeah. it. Fixed.
1: It's a fixed moment in time. Fixed moment in time. Uh, if you change that thing, that thing that that particular incident was so huge and so sweeping and affected so much of the timeline that if you change that, like all of reality mm. kind of crumbles. But so you, there are but a few can, big you, moments you cannot change.
0: But they can also like, you know, step out into the streets of ancient times and like in modern clothes and just sort of talk to people and not affect history
1: too badly that yeah, way. Yeah, it's not really that big a deal right. because we change history all the time. It's just certain things are so big we can't do yeah. it. Um Basically, I'm going to fall back on a Doctor Who term. Uh, term. Well, the, Wibbly-wobbly-timey-wimey. The, it's the, it's bad when the plot says it's bad, and it's good when the plot says it's uh, good. The, the, the term
0: I'm going to fall back on is one they used in Star Trek a lot, the Temporal Prime Directive. Because there was so much time travel shenanigans in Star Trek that they ended up having to just address that there was always time travel shenanigans. And... It wasn't until Deep Space Nine that we were introduced to like the the time travel bureau that worked for the Federation yeah. that punished people who traveled back in time a little too recklessly. <laughs> and that's when they brought up the temporal prime directive. You can't go back in time and change history because, look, everything things are too complicated right now. We can't have people messing with causality. It's too complicated. Yeah. So we have to make sure everything is in a, a particular set of... Set of order. And we know it's tragic, but you can't go back in time and fix stuff because it'll just screw things up in the future. And they talk about causality a lot in Star Trek. It's a little... They're vaguely cerebral about it.
1: Voyagers is not cerebral about it. We're not just, for a second. We're traveling through time and we're having fun <laughs> and well, perhaps eventually we would have answered some questions.
0: The, and the really telling... Uh, to- what really tells the tone of Voyagers happens over the credits of every episode, where they're rolling credits and we get stills of the adventures we just had, and Phineas Bogg is there with his shirt off sword fighting, or there he's with his shirt off fighting somebody <laughs> else, or he just has his shirt off a lot, and, and that's fine. Thank um, you. <laughs> but uh, we, Mino Pellucci gives a brief narration. Hey, if you wanted to learn more about Wild Bill Hickok, or... Cleopatra or whoever else like was in the with, episode. was in the episode. Go down and look them up at your local library. It's all in books. And that that little narration filled me with joy every I watched the credits of every episode because that little bit filled me with joy every time. Yeah. Because it encourages kids to go down to the li- their libraries, and I loved doing that as a kid—just Mm-hmm. Just going down to the library and learning some random stuff.
1: The thing is, is that this show is half educational and half hogwash. Mm. Because it, what I like is that it it addresses history in a way that is fun mm. and dashing, and tells and it makes broad, it brassy story. Yeah. It's very interesting. I like the fact that whenever they meet historical figures, they're always in kind of a moment of crisis. Mm -hmm. And there's something kind of cool about the way that the show manages to tell a big, brassy, adventurous story about these amazing historical Mm. figures. Um, While also really humanizing them and just saying they too, like everyone else, is full of doubt and Mm. they pushed through it or they had someone to help guide them and they stayed motivated and ultimately they did change the world and that's something we can all apply to our own lives. Mm. Um, I I like that. I think that's a very uh, Mm. uh, strong, uh, effective tone. But they also throw in some real bullshit and uh, I mean there's stuff like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle actually, oh, lived. actually was like Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes. Holmes for a second yeah or or I'm trying to remember what some of the other uh, they actually meet Robin Hood who was really Robin Hoody Robin Hood and not like, just like some you guy see in the movies yeah and all of the merry men are exactly the same as they are in the stories. and, and listen fine but like you can only pretend to be so educational like once you hit Robin Hood <laughs> level you're at wishbone level <laughs> Of, of of educational quality, yeah, so... Of, of, of all
0: the historical figures you could choose from, why go to a
1: fake one? There are so many great ones. I appreciate that they wanted to incorporate some historical figures from fiction and maybe try to find the reality behind them but they mm. don't they just do the yeah, fiction yeah 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 um, uh,
0: but yeah they, like, they, they even, go, they even they go back us? in time they meet Spartacus and it's just like the movie Spartacus well,
1: Let's let's talk about uh, the second episode mm. so the second episode they just jump headlong into some heavy 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 material and I was really worried after watching the second episode that the show would really fall flat on its face mm. the second episode is the slavery episode oh yeah very special is, episode which, about sp- which is you know hard what? to do which is hard to make fun well it's hard to make fun
0: but that's an elephant in the room when you're dealing with history it's, it's, it is a dark spot in America we are oh, built yeah. on slavery so, and so we have to address that and I'm glad they did it right away well I and guess they have, that's an argument too they have too. two parallel slave uprisings and, so they start and it's the only time it, where the two timelines kind of match
1: they start off in ancient Rome mm-hmm. Uh, and they meet Spartacus, and they are basically uh, sold into slavery, and Bog is going to be a gladiator who has to fight Spartacus to the death, but of course he can't kill Spartacus, right. but he can't die either, so...
0: And do, did you recognize the actor who bought the bought them as slaves? It was Ian Ambercrombie yes. from Birds of Prey.
1: That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot of fun... Uh, we, we didn't mention it, uh, we had Ed Begley Jr. as one of the Wright brothers in the previous episode right. as well. Uh, so... They have to quell a slave uprising Uh, while they are escaping the Romans and they're going to come back and solve all the problems later. They end up meeting Harriet Tubman and Samuel Clemens, Samuel (laughs) Clemens, who was a racist until he had a short conversation with Mina Pellucci Hmm. and then he goes, oh, you're right. Slavery is terrible. And then he wasn't racist anymore, which is a little easy, but okay. And uh, it's a show for kids. It's a show and, for and, they're,
0: ki- and they're addressing injustice in a way kids can understand. At I least they acknowledge fine.
1: that not everyone that, that that work had to be done. Mm. Um, and over the course of the episode, Phineas uh, Bogg has to win Harriet Tubman in a card game, which is pretty tone deaf and uh then they go off on the run and Samuel Clemens gets all the material he needs to eventually write Huck Mm. Finn Mm. and then they go back in time like I appreciate that they're addressing the elephants in the room it's it's too big an elephant. They don't know how to handle it. The elephant stampedes. It, a lot of people die. I, I, look, <laughs> doesn't handle the. This I is not see, the, the best handling of this material. It,
0: you're right. You're right. It's it's pretty mawkish, but I admire their ambition because there weren't a lot of shows for kids in the early '80s that even addressed slavery in any
1: sort of way. So okay. this is fine. It's fine. All right. Uh, the third episode, Bully and Billy, is uh, kind of neat. So they end up in. Um, uh, they end up... It's during the Spanish-American War. Thank you, Spanish-American War. is was driving me nuts. Uh, they end the Spanish-American War, and mm. Teddy Roosevelt isn't there with his Rough Riders, and everything is going really, really bad. Why, and, and why isn't Teddy there? Well, fortunately, there are two reporters who happen to have memorized everyone Billy the Kid killed in order. <laughs> and it turned out Teddy Roosevelt mm. it was like, had his stagecoach held up by Billy the Kid, and Billy the Kid shot him because he was an ass. So they have to go back in time to stop Billy the Kid from killing Theodore Roosevelt. Meanwhile, Mino Pellucci is very enamored of Billy the Kid, because Billy the Kid wants to teach uh, Mino Pellucci how to shoot guns. And John Eric Hexen was just like, Maybe not guns. I don't know
2: about that.
1: Hmm. And um, I actually quite like this episode. Right. Um, I think this is, this is an episode where the two main storylines... There's a quick digression with Benjamin Franklin, where he can't get his kite up in the air, but fortunately mm-hmm. Mino Pellucci is a kid and knows how that's kites how- work, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of cute. But, it like, oh, it's a good thing Charlie Brown is here. But, you know, it, for the most part, it's actually pretty good. you got Greg Henry as Teddy Roosevelt. Greg Henry's mm-hmm. a great character actor, so that's a lot of fun. Um, but just, it's nice to have a story about... Mina Pellucci actually being a kid and making kid mistakes. He's Mm. not quite an unbelievable audience surrogate hero character. Like, he's he's obviously preternaturally gifted in the subject of history, but he's still a kid, Mm. and every once in a while, he just makes a stupid kid mistake. And here, he hero worships Billy the Kid. Well, we've all heard legends. Wouldn't it be cool to meet Billy the Kid? I love Emilio Estevez. But... (laughs)
2: It turns oh, out up.
1: I watched Young Guns a lot when I was a kid. He was Billy the Kid to me. You shut your mouth. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should see Young Guns. You've never seen Young Guns? No, I, I haven't seen any westerns. You know that. Oh, that's right. It was big when we, when when you were in an age when like the Brat Pack was a big deal. I yeah. maybe you might have seen it. Um, I haven't revisited it in decades. It might suck. <laughs> also, Young Guns 2 definitely yeah. sucks, but I digress. I've, I've
0: seen half of Tombstone. You <laughs> I've, I've tried twice, I've, and and just because of circumstances, I still have never finished Tombstone. I've,
1: I've got to make you watch some westerns, man. Like, you're <laughs> missing out. There's some good stuff. Anyway, it's kind of nice to deal with. We hero worship some people in history. Mm. In actuality, they were very bad people. And John and Phineas Bogg eventually shows me to Pellucci that without his gun, Billy the Kid is kind of pathetic. He's a
0: coward, yeah. He's, he's pathetic.
1: And, you know, you don't kill a bunch of people if you can think of better ways to handle your life Mm. and your situation. Um, And I think this one actually just kind of comes together pretty well. I really like Greg Henry as Teddy Roosevelt. Um, I think this is just a good episode of the show. All all things considered. Um, Then we have the Salem Witch Trials episode. Yeah, with Shannon Doherty in this, although I can't honestly remember where she was. She was just just, one of the kids. She was just one of the kids. Yeah, she didn't have a a pretty prominent role. Um, So in this episode, they have to save Benjamin Franklin's mother from charges of witchcraft.
0: I think it... Wasn't his father? I think his father was... was uh, I think it was his mother. ...tangled up. His mother. His mother. Oh, yeah, you're right, his mother. Uh, okay, never mind.
1: But uh, uh, also, they run into Harry Houdini, who accidentally gets convinced in the middle of a seance that magic is real.
0: Well, because they, they appear out, out of thin air during a seance. It's like, hey, you guys must be ghosts. I'm convinced
1: now. Yeah. which is actually a really good storyline, because Harry Houdini... If you don't know the story, Harry Houdini, of course, was one of the world's most famous magicians. He spent a large part of his career uh, debunking spiritualists because mm-hmm. they were mostly pulling elaborate cons on rich people and convincing them mm-hmm. that the spirit world was real. Harry Houdini loved Mm. his dead mother and really wanted to be able to to communicate with her in the afterlife, Mm. but he was too good a musician and he figured out every single trick Mm. and he tried to debunk everybody, but he wanted to believe. Yeah. So dealing with that story is actually kind of cool. He felt like super cheated. That's the that none of these
0: psychics or these mediums that he ran into were real.
1: Yeah, so I actually liked that whole bit. I liked that there was, like, one of the con artist psychics accidentally gets proven real mm-hmm. and goes kind of mad with power and tries to bury them all alive. And they're just like, fortunately, we're in here with Houdini. Come on, Houdini, how do we get out of this one? I do tricks, we're gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> so that was fun. Mm. <laughs> that was fun. The, the, um, the,
0: the, the st- Many of the stories did have to manufacture ways to take the Omni out of their hands yeah. because the Omni is a really handy device. You just hit a button and you just blink out of existence. mm
1: -hmm. And And they're time travelers. They can just come back at any time if they want. Yeah. And it's
0: just an edit. You know, they just sort of edit out of existence. Sometimes they do it really skillfully. Like Mm -hmm. there's a shot in the first episode where they're standing by a river and they blink out of existence Mm -hmm. and there's not any sort of noticeable jump in the river. They actually make it look like the river is, is, you know, isn't part of the edit. They did did it really well.
1: I like that every time they uh, land in a new time, they literally fall. They fall like 10 feet and land on the ground and they hurt their butts.
0: More than once, they landed in what looks like the same pile of lettuce, <laughs> it's like they landed in food a couple times i
1: was thinking about it and like one it's just kind of a fun visual like they literally mm-hmm. just f- in out of nowhere but i was thinking about it like actually from a logistical perspective why would they make a device that does that and i think it's because if you just sort of pop up in the middle of a street there could be stuff there you might, 10 feet oh, oh. in the air probably not <laughs> you might like
0: materialize inside someone's body um i read a time travel book when i was a kid called ah. strange attractors okay. by william slater uh a young adult author who needs to be adapted to film immediately. Uh, he did interstellar pig. You might've heard of
1: that one. I've heard of that one. I, okay. didn't read, I didn't
0: read it. He did one called strange attractors. And it was about some kids who have a time travel device and they end up going. They, one of their hobbies is uh, a parent. And one of one of the kids go back to prehistoric times, like before there was any life on earth and they go joyriding, hmm. like they have a dune buggy back there. And, what they have to uh, what they realize is that because of the way the landscape has shifted, they had to build a tower in the ancient past. So when they could travel back in time, they wouldn't plummet hundreds of feet to their deaths. Yeah. Because they realize because they're
1: not traveling down to ground level. You're not thinking fourth dimensionally. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's kind of a fun one. Uh, the next episode is the Lawrence of Arabia episode.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, that's
1: uh, Jeffrey Jones and Phineas Bog, uh land in the middle of the desert and they're just there in time to see Lawrence of Arabia get captured and they have to rescue him uh, unfortunately in the middle of a rescue uh, Jeffrey has to use the Omni to get out of danger and he ends up with Thomas Edison right before he invents the light bulb Thomas Edison gets a little trigger happy with ooh what's this neat device and he disassembles the orb yeah. <laughs> and so he and he refuses to fix it until the kid who had a device with an electric light in it mm. helps him invent, invent the electric, electric light, light yeah. it's okay that's scary. <laughs> it's okay. The problem is that like I... the two stories don't quite sync up because like they try to run them parallel. Like, oh, will Phineas Bogg manage to escape with Th Lawrence? Will Jeffrey get back to him in time? They're time travelers. Yeah, I was about literally any time they fix that omni, it will be fine. Th-
0: there's <laughs> no such thing as a race against the clock if you have a time travel device. So the, epi- <laughs> the clock is
1: meaningless. So the episode like really, really, really relies mm. on this like timeline. Oh, and we'll kill you and Th Lawrence tomorrow you're time travelers. Again, you're time travelers. You can only get away with it for so long. If the episode were 20 minutes long, I'd say fine. This is a 45-minute no, episode and that's all you got. They never go
0: they never go nuts with it. Like there's never one of those things where they run into their past selves or their future selves. I'm sure mm-hmm. they would have gotten into that in in like later seasons. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's there's no comment on sort of their own causality and how it affects them. Mm. Uh, this this is not a show that thinks quite in quite such sophisticated fashions. This is just let's meet historical figures. Yeah, it's not really... It's about as sophisticated as Peabody and Sherman.
1: It's, it's a little geeky, but it's not nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the way I would describe it. It's about history.
0: It's not about the science of time travel.
1: All right, so the next episode is called Cleo and the Babe, and this one gets weirdly ornate. So it starts oh, it's off... such a strange story. So the story of this one... Mm. Is they end up uh in Rome right after Caesar has been killed and Cleopatra mm. has gotta get out of the city and they gotta help her. Uh they end up accidentally getting uh separated. Uh Bog and Cleopatra wind up in nineteen nineteen No, sorry, nineteen twenty-seven. Mm. Uh, and Bog ditches Cleopatra because she's kind of annoying and goes back to save Jeffrey. And then Jeffrey is like, You lost Cleopatra? She's kind of important. <laughs> So they end up going to 1927, trying to find Cleopatra, and that's when they find out that on top of losing Cleopatra, Babe Ruth never joined the Yankees because he stayed a pitcher. So they have to go back in time and help Babe Ruth decide to become a a batter rather than a pitcher. Yeah, decide to focus on that part of the game. That takes a while, and then they end up coming back to 1927 where Cleopatra has teamed up with Lucky Luciano to kidnap Babe Ruth. So that he won't hit well, his like his ninetieth Homer or whatever the fuck well, it was. What I love
0: is that Cleopatra is she's displaced from time. And she just she shows up in modern day and takes it totally in stride. Mm-hmm. And
1: She handles it well. She's a woman of the world. She just travels to strange places all the time and adapts.
0: And just, yeah, just gets into her usual trouble. Mm-hmm. She teams up with a powerful criminal and starts kidnapping people, and she turns into a flapper, and she's totally okay. One thing she ex- is adaptable, and one, I
1: admire that. One thing they explain in Doctor Who, and it's just a bullshit line of dialogue, it's all you need, but they <laughs> never explain it in Voyagers, how does everyone speak English? That, everyone speaks English. yeah it, Doctor, Doctor Who's Who
0: like, oh, and it turns out there's... Chem- there's technology the, in your brain that translates stuff for you. No, the,
1: the, the time machine itself mm. allows just, yeah, but it adapts you to it do, wherever... It, it
0: doesn't matter how far away you are from the machine, you just have it in your brain. They now. call it
1: the gift of the TARDIS. Once you've time-traveled once, you have like an automatic translator for no, everyone. No. Fine. Whatever. I don't care. They, in, in, Voyagers, in, they don't even address it for... Yeah. It. They could say that. Just as long as you're near the Omni, you can understand mm-hmm. any language. That would have been fine. They don't think. They nothing. never explain yeah. it. They do not think you care. And frankly... I kind of don't, and if we weren't talking about it on a podcast, I probably would never have brought it up, because who cares, it's fun. Also, why is Cleopatra White? There's actually some historical uh, well, uh, uh, debate about that. Mm. About like exact, her exact nationality, because it's mm. hard to say with any specificity. Right. Um. So, but yeah, it's it's worth bringing up. <laughs> they, made, they clearly made the choice. Yeah. Uh, the next episode mm. is The Day the Rebs Took Lincoln. Mm. Uh, they end up in Gettysburg where the Confederate army has not only like won that battle, but they're actually like charging through new England. They've basically won the war because they kidnapped Abraham Lincoln successfully. And so they decide to go back in time to prevent Abraham Lincoln from being kidnapped. But whoops, the Omni messed up. And so they're in England all of a sudden. Yeah. With a young Charles Dickens who hasn't written Oliver Twist yet. Unfortunately, Fagin, the artful Dodger, and Bill Sykes are all have st-
0: real characters, and they've
1: stolen the Omni, and they're about to inspire Charles Dickens to write arguably his greatest novel.
0: Okay, Charles, Di- <sighs> if you read the works of Charles Dickens, which I encourage everybody to do, read them all. Yeah. It's gr- they're all great, and uh, you will you know get a, a fantastic cross section of humanity from Charles Dickens. Why is it the stories about Charles Dickens always suck? <laughs> It's because his life wasn't that adventurous. Like yeah. he, he, I mean, he had a, a, like a miserable childhood. That's why all of his books are about miserable children. That sure. he drew, drew on his own experience, but for the most part, he was just a, an art, like an, a businessman, art artist. He's, he's he a- went around and reading his stuff. He sold his books. He was always desperate for the big pop hit. He wasn't. Like a a raconteur or a gentleman adventurer. He was just a guy who sat and wrote a lot. This
1: happens when you have any sort of celebrity author, especially from a previous generation. Mm -hmm. All, for the most part, anyone knows about them is their work and so what you want to do is you want to try to find some connection to their work. The more fanciful the work, the more fanciful the stories you end up telling. Mm -hmm. Like the episode of Doctor Who where William Shakespeare had to yell poetry at alien ghosts or something Mm -hmm. in order to stop them
0: and save the world. And, and Martha had to help Shakespeare, but the only book she had in her brain in that moment was Harry Potter. Oh yeah, I forgot about that So So she, yeah. she gives him a hint well, in poetry by quoting had, Harry
1: Potter. They had a Charles Dickens uh, uh, episode of uh, Doctor Who as well. So they were, like, in which go, they were,
0: ghosts living in his
1: gaslights Yeah, which <laughs> ended up inspiring The Christmas Carol. Um, you had The the Man Who Invented Christmas, which was a not very, which was a laughably <laughs> stupid movie, which is a very silly film. With damn Stevens yes. as Charles Dickens. Yep. And it's all about how he wrote the Christmas, Christmas Carol, yes. and it's just so on the nose. The more self-aware you can be about that, the better. Shakespeare in Love, if you're a Shakespeare nerd, mm. is really quite funny. It's bad history, but it's really quite mm. funny. And they just they weave in all the references in a way that's sort of like, ha, I got that one. Mm. Here it's just we couldn't think of anything else to do with Charles Dickens, and we just really wanted to put Fagin and Bill Sykes and Artful Dodger in it. Like, that's it. Mm. And then, of course, Mina Pellucci ends up being Oliver, because he's an orphan, and blah, 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 blah. blah. It's, it's not a particularly And, the, and this goes episode. back to Lincoln somehow. <laughs> they eventually... No, they just, they just solve that problem and then go back to Lincoln. It has nothing to do with anything. And I, like, I like the, the actor who... Pl- I,
0: I forgot, to, write, I forgot mm. to get find his name, but I like the actor who played Lincoln. Yeah, it's his, uh, hold on. His, He was a good, a good Lincoln, a good uh, classical, traditional kind of cliche Lincoln. Uh,
1: John Anderson, John Anderson, uh, who was wow, he was in some interesting stuff. He was in Eight Men Out. He had a small role in Psycho. Okay. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting mm-hmm. character actor resume. Basically, go to any '80s adventure movie and just pick a character actor mm-hmm. and look at their resume, and you'll find interesting stuff. That's what I've discovered from working on Cancel Too Soon. Mm. Uh, The next episode is called Old Hickory and the Pirate. This is the
0: one where we learn where Bog, in some previous life, was a pirate.
1: Yeah, he had done pirate stuff. Uh, In this one, they find out that uh, uh, Jean Lafitte uh, ended up... uh, um, being arrested for piracy or something mm. and, uh, didn't end up saving the day. And in order to help general Andrew Jackson, win the battle of new Orleans, which by the way, they're really here. worshiping should be about Andrew Jackson of all presidents. Like Jeffrey Jones is like really excited uh-huh. specifically to exactly. meet Andrew Jackson. And I'm like, you are washing over some very disgusting stuff. <laughs> did, did you get to the chapter on the trail of tears yet? I, I no, guess not. No,
0: no, I guess not. Okay. He
1: just knows that he was tall. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so this is the episode where they actually have to go and do pirate stuff. And I will say this, uh, this episode, just look at the pirate stuff. Hmm. Just look at the pirate stuff. It's actually kind of fun. Pirate stuff. It's there's fun. like there's sword well, fights on the beach. And there's again, like
0: you're gonna do adventurous history stuff. You're gonna run into pirates eventually. Also Vikings. I'm uh, surprised also, they didn't and get also, to Vikings. And also knights. Those are those are like the three that you always get to. And you we need some didn't sort of adventurous. So scene. much get
1: to knights, but we did get to uh, pirates. And we never got the Vikings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: I guess Vikings are are third in that <laughs> that hierarchy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So. Why does Phineas Bogg dress like a friggin' pirate? Well, turns out he was a pirate. Mm -hmm. He looks like the young pirate from the Pirates of Penzance, but you know, he's not that tough, but whatever.
2: (laughs) Pirates of Penzance were athletic. uh,
0: When did Bogg do his pirating? Because Phineas Bogg is like, what, 24? He's pretty young. He looks pretty young. John Eric Hexam was in his his mid 20s when they filmed this. And it's also established that to become a Voyager, you have to go to like. Years and years and years of school from when you're a kid. Yep. Yeah. So, when was he a pirate? Did he leave school? Like, did he have to He took a year work? off to travel. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> after he graduated high school, did he take a year but, off and he was just a pirate in that I, year?
1: I think it's one of those things where the show has to be really, really fast paced. Mm. But theoretically, well, if it doesn't you're, have if you're, to be. Well, but, th- the sh- in right. order to, to keep our attention and bounce about, it's a little fast paced. Theoretically, in order to set the timeline right, he could be stuck doing a mission for months, if not years. Mm-hmm. He could have had to be like embedded in Blackbeard's mm-hmm. gang for a while. Okay,
0: for, you fair. know, like
1: th- that. I would buy that. I would mm-hmm. buy that entirely. There's they, no they accidentally
0: buried his Omni in a treasure chest, and he had to find it again. Yeah, it, could, that, it that would, could be a whole thing. Heck, that would be a good story. It would be a good story. Uh, oh, and something we didn't address the void, like the Voyagers. This is their job. They don't get paid for it. That's just their job. Mm-hmm. They're responsible public servants, but they work for some shadowy temporal organization out of time. Uh, They're constantly on the job. They don't get vacations. They don't take breaks. As soon as they vanish at the end of one episode, they just start the next one. Uh Mm-hmm. They don't
1: get to rest. It's an exciting life.
0: Uh, it's an exciting life. Uh, they never address things like where they eat or how they get clothes. They just sort of have that stuff, but yeah. whatever.
1: I imagine uh, they on... have money-making devices or something. Yeah, they never or... address
0: how they get money or yeah. you know where they sleep at night, if they ever sleep. There's one episode where Albert Einstein uh, offers to take them to lunch, and Mino Pellucci says, Let's go. I'm hungry. And you realize, <laughs> when did you eat? You haven't eaten for like a week. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How is it you're still upright? I think there was one episode where they did say they took a break on, like, you know, on some, like, Hawaiian mm. island or something. And then yeah. they, they, whatever. But, you know, they don't, ask, they don't answer a lot of questions. Like, I assumed that the Voyagers were, like, from the future. Mm. And I think they one of them even said they're class of 97. You know? Right. so So they are. In the 1982, yeah. there was 15 years in the future. But it turns out that uh, Voyagers, like, a lot of. The more ambitious 80s and 70s action shows Did have a Sort of a movie version Where they took two Mm. episodes uh, The pilot episode and the Titanic episode Which we'll talk about more in a minute uh, And they released it on home video as Voyager from the Unknown, which had a couple of new like bits of visual effects, but also a voiceover, which explained stuff that we never found out in the show. And I don't know if this is canonical or if they just made it up for the movie. I don't mm. know if this is actually the origin of it.
0: Like if this was part of the series Bible
1: that the creators yeah. knew. I, I don't know if this is just we, we needed to wrap a few things up because the movie had to be self-contained. Mm-hmm. So here's a little bit more backstory. I don't know if this is the actual story, but here's the voiceover. Far out in the cosmos, there exists a planet known as Voyager, where the mystery. Wait a minute, of t-
0: wait a minute. Stop, stop. Yes. You've already lost me.
1: Right? Doesn't <laughs> that kind of ruin it? Where the mystery of travel into space and through time has been solved. It is inhabited by a race who call themselves. Voyagers. Their purpose is to keep constant surveillance on history. These people have a time machine device, the Omni, which will take them into the past, present, or future. As each Voyager graduates, he is given an Omni and a guidebook. One such graduate is Phineas Bogg, who was assigned as a field worker to operate in certain time zones.
2: (sighs) (laughs) Fuck it, it's Doctor Who. Like That's just what they said. Fuck it, it's Doctor Who. It
0: turns out they're space aliens...
1: They didn't have to be. Why are they speaking? They're oh. just on the future. Who gives a shit? Why make it so weird and complicated? Well,
0: here's how I would have made it weird and complicated. Like, I, I said they were kind of outside time. I think they were, like, from such a distant point in the future. Like, they're from, like...
1: 3000 like AD.
0: AD 50 million. You know, yeah. they're just, like, way, way out there. And just time... They've realized that time has to be constructed in a very particular way. And there were a lot of really important events at this, like, little tiny epoch i.e. the first, like, 4,000 years of human history. Mm -hmm. And they have to go back to that
1: little tiny span for them and just sort of muck around. Well, it raises the question, why is time so out of whack? Clearly, like, things (sighs) turned out okay once. Mm -hmm. I thought they were going to get to a point, like, sooner that there were... Evil time travelers Who are actually hmm. going around Just sort of poking things around And just messing stuff up Maybe for shits and giggles Maybe for some grand sinister scheme um, And they do eventually delve into that A little bit But we are not there yet The next episode uh, Is called The Travels of Marco
2: And Hello. Friends.
0: <laughs> Hello.
1: Uh So in this episode They actually come across A retired voyager Who recognizes them immediately Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and who is Sid
0: Caesar? Well, he's not played by Sid Caesar, but he's Sid Caesar. Played like Sid Caesar.
1: Yeah. And uh, he wants them to take him away from 1920s New York. That's where he retired. And well, he's sick of it. It's 1930 New York. Oh, apologies. He wa- well, it
2: was
0: time to retire. And when you're a Voyager and you retire, you can choose what era of history you want to live in. They'll just
1: drop you and off he's anywhere like, you want. He's
0: like, I got it the Roaring Twenties. Things were great. And then, but he didn't know. See, his Omni only went up to 1929. Something significant happened in 1929. (laughs) America went to shit (laughs) because of a big market crash. And uh, so, yeah, he he decides, yeah, I'm going to land in 1928. And things are just going to be great in America from here on out. (laughs) And then the bottom fell out of the market, and now he's just sort of sweeping streets and living in complete abject poverty, and he's miserable. Anyway,
1: Phineas Bogg actually looks up to this guy. He's a bit of a legend in Voyager circles. Uh, Even
0: though he's annoying AF.
1: Yeah. Uh I mean, Pellucci doesn't give a shit at all, and finds him really annoying. They agree to drop him off on a Pacific island. <laughs> well, they don't, they don't know it at first. They're like, they drop him off, and it's like, okay, look, it's an island of the Pacific. It's after World War II. Nothing's going to happen enjoy. And they just leave, and the camera pans over to a sign that says Bikini Atoll Nuclear Testing Site, and then they just go, and they don't address it, and I thought it was just going to be this weird, dark joke.
0: (laughs) I I was kind of hoping that they just leave him there. Like, he's he's going to get nuked and that's it.
1: It's really gross. I've had nightmares (laughs) that play out like that. Um, And then they end up in Marco Polo territory, mm-hmm. and turns out Marco Polo didn't meet Kublai Khan, and so they have to fix that. Um, but then they lose the Omni, and then they get it's, separated. Uh, it's only vaguely raises, and they have to bring back the retired Voyager in order to help them. Mm. Blah 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 blah. Mako is in this episode, and that's always fun. I like Mako. Mako's great. Who doesn't like Mako? Oh yeah, well, I forget. They actually uh, they save Albert Einstein's life in this episode, just from like a falling. Well, that, something. That, that's
0: that's like an aside. It's like, a like, they push him aside,
1: and that's that's where they. They get the sandwich from Einstein. All right. The next episode is an arrow pointing east. Mm-hmm. Uh, they end up in Robin Hood times. Robin Hood was injured in a battle and he fled. And the battle against Prince John and the Sheriff of Nottingham is not going well. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, uh, Charles, Charles Lindbergh,
2: Lindbergh
1: yeah. <laughs> played by Jonathan Frakes from Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, he's he's ready to go on his flight to Paris, but it's it's uh, there's a bit of a bluster. And he's not sure if he should leave. And they have to convince everyone to let him fly even though there's a storm. Hmm. Alright. Yeah, okay. It's fine. I actually like Jonathan Frakes mm-hmm. in this. He's got a nice you know, heroic charm. Although a, part of me mm. really wishes like as he's like about to like leave, Mino Pellucci would have said just like, and hey, if you ever have a kid, put bars on the windows. <laughs> <laughs> like it's weird that he didn't the, the, mention the, the, that. That's the yeah. other thing people know Charles Lindbergh for. Yeah. <laughs> like, Flight?
0: kidnapping. Those that's what like, we know about Lindbergh.
1: No, I just mentioned that briefly. Like oh my god. There's a great XKCD where someone was just like, you know that whole thing like, hey, 1990 called. They want their t-shirt back or right, whatever. Right, right. Someone was like, "Hey, 1999 called. They Oh my god, did you warn them? Did you warn them about 9/11? <laughs> you monster. <laughs> Why didn't you say anything? They they called. What did you say to them? Um hmm. Anyway, the episode just kind of goes off from there, it's actually kind of a non. The, you the, think the with Lind- Robin Hood and Charles Lindbergh, it would be a little more eventful. It's not.
0: I mean, like there's a rescue for Maid Marian. That's that's you know fun and just a, a very generic sort of way. But yeah, you have Lindbergh, and you can't get any anything exciting other than just let him fly. Yeah. And Jonathan Frakes is fine. I've, he, I think he's uh, when you look at Star Trek: The Next Generation, he plays
1: Will Riker, okay. <laughs> He's playing Will Riker here like that's kind of his that's, only tone I, I saw him his, his only note is sort of I, somewhat uh, dashing I, I, I but saw him
0: play a, like a villainous character in a soap opera once and he was fine in that He was good but... as the
1: bad guy in gargoyles, but even that was only the voice yeah and, and yeah. yeah fine voice actor uh, the next episode mm. is Merry Christmas bog uh, mm-hmm. that's the episode where they have to convince a young George Washington not to join the British. Uh, the british army yeah which yeah admittedly kind of a big deal mm-hmm. um also they meet ancestors of Jeffreys and bog is really tempted to leave him with, with his, his grandparents basically his, yeah
0: and and in fact uh, there's some really great moments and this will activate anybody's nostalgia where he's going through his grandparents childhood home and recognizing stuff he interacted with oh yeah these, like, these are my mom's is,
1: dishes i ate off these dishes I, I ate
0: off these dishes i sat in this rocking chair you know but this has like paint on it the version i i mm-hmm. saw I didn't have any paint on it and i think if you have you know grandparents who have old things you're going to have that moment we're going to see pictures of those things before. it 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 it's works. Up, my heartstrings no, a lot. And bit.
1: honestly, the kid Mino you know, Pellucci, is actually like a pretty good actor, and he sells these emotional moments where he's actually like really. He talks in this episode about like he's just kind of. Part of him is kind of tired of running. Part of him does just mm. miss having his parents around. No, like the, the ad, he acknowledges that the adventure is a distraction. Yeah, but at the end of this episode, Bog said, "You know, for the good of the kid, I'm just gonna." He's he's singing carols with his family. Mm. This is the best possible place I could ever drop him off. I can't take him back to his original timeline, and he wasn't happy there anyway. Mm. So this is fine. He'll the, he won't affect history too badly here. It's all good. I'll just leave. And then the kid realizes that Bog is gone, and he runs to see Bog, and he's just like, "You're, you're, this you're, you're nice, my family but, now. But you're yeah. my family now, and we have like a really deep connection." and They do actually. By this point, it's not even that far into this series, or at least mm. I mean, it's pretty far given how little they made. But all things considered, for, like, halfway through the first season that they have, like, that really positive and deep a connection, that's actually pretty impressive.
0: It's impressive. Well, it's impressive that that we buy it, that that, uh, their their relationship is played so well. And I think a lot of it has to do with the chemistry with the two actors. They do really kind of have this big brother, younger brother thing going on. Um I'm glad it didn't go in a fatherly direction. Yeah, actually. I think
1: I, he's just too young for it. I think they mm. realized early on that's not quite well, the also, vibe. He's not his he's not char- a caretaker.
0: His, and yeah, his character his character is far too irresponsible to be a yeah. father. In he, fact, Pellucci is the more mature one of the two in many yeah, ways.
1: This is like this is like your brother like let you ditch junior high and like go around with him. Yeah, like a, with like and do something somewhat irresponsible. Yeah. You know, can, like, can,
0: can you take me to that liquor store that has the purple gummy worms that you always tell me about? Yeah. Okay, fine. We're going to drive across like, town and, and get and some purple gummy worms. And
1: you'll be safe with him, but technically you're doing something bad. Mm-hmm. That's the vibe. And that's a good vibe. That's a really kind of like interesting combination of risky and safe.
0: It's risky, you know? it's safe, and it's a fantasy that little kids have, no, I sort actually, of r- I, running off and doing that sort of fun adventure.
1: Because I don't have a close connection with my brother, this really like kicked in for me. Aww. Like It's actually like, I got a real emotional connection to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next episode is Buffalo Bill and Annie play the palace. This is an episode in which Buffalo Bill and Annie play the palace.
0: That would be Annie Oakley.
1: Annie Oakley. Uh, and, uh, bu- yeah.
0: in, in this peculiar point in history that where... Uh, which Buff- is true. Buffalo Bill and Annie Oakley went to England and sold wild west experiences
2: mm-hmm.
0: like you could get on a stagecoach and they would fake rob it so you could get this sort of fakey wild west uh scenario it's like live theater
1: yeah and uh, in fact they were around at the same time as jack the ripper and they were questioned they were like mm, all these interesting people who play with knives are in town mm-hmm. when all these murders are taken are, are going on we better question them probably an american this will be great ended up not panning out obviously I'm- that has, has
0: has there ever been a fictional story where uh the two meet? Jack uh, the Ripper and, and Wild and, Bill and, and, and Buffalo Bill. A oh, Buffalo Bill? Yeah. I think this is Wild Bill. Oh what? This me, Wild, is Wild Bill. Yeah. The,
1: and actually Phineas Bogg makes that gets confused. Yeah, sorry. And honestly, yeah, I that's okay. No,
0: Annie Oakley, that was Buffalo Bill. That was Buffalo Bill. Annie Oakley and Buffalo Bill right? Oh my god, you're right. Wild Bill was a different guy, but but they do do run into both Wild Bill and Buffalo Bill. But yeah,
1: like like consecutive episodes. I would
0: love to see some sort of completely stupid historical crossover where Buffalo Bill and Jack the Ripper meet or do battle or some such thing.
1: And the graphic novel version of From Hell. (laughs) Not not like the really simplified. Mm, The Alan Moore book. Yeah, uh, they do delve into the Wild Bill stuff, but they they don't actually meet. Yeah, um, well I
0: think that one's trying to be kind of historically accurate
1: it Mostly start, I mean, they, they come up with a very clear theory about who they think is mm. And they delve into his character But beyond that, as much of it They're, they're actually like extensive footnotes mm. And it's a fascinating graphic novel It's actually one of my favorite graphic novels The movie stinks um, <laughs> The movie stinks, it is gorgeously photographed It's one of the best looking mm. movies of like the last twenty years, if you ask me, just in terms of how it's filmed, it's and, beautiful.
0: And those those Hungarian streets, photographed. Oh well.
1: yeah. Uh, the next, so this episode, uh, they run into Buffalo Bill, Annie Oakley. There's a plot to marry a princess, but if the guy who wants to marry the princess can't beat Annie Oakley in a shooting contest, mm-hmm. she he won't get to marry the princess. But we don't want her to marry the princess. And snooze. And then the guy's kind of a douchebag, and Annie Oakley comes charging it at the last
0: minute, and she's awesome.
1: And then halfway through the episode, they meet Dr. Schweitzer, who's trying to introduce medicine to Africa in mm. a section that is kind of racist. Um, mm. Racist in its depiction more than its construct. And, yeah, um, Whatever, it actually ends up not amounting to much. Um, I like Annie Oakley in this. Yeah. I like her, and I'm trying to remember uh, who played her. I want to give her a shout she out. She looked like Tress McNeil. Uh, Diane Carey. Diane Carey. Uh, as Diane Kavita, uh, I guess is what she was going under at the mm. time. Uh, she plays Annie Oakley, and uh, she's a hoot. Uh, mm. She was in Mistress. She was in Misfits of Science as well. Okay. Um. So she, uh, we'll probably run into her I again mean, at some y- point. You play Annie Oakley, you're going to have a, f- a good time. Right? It's just a good part to play. Uh, the next episode is the clip show. It's the trial of Phineas Bogg. Mm. They fall into. A timeline they don't recognize, and they realize it is a courtroom for Voyagers. And that's when they find out that there is a prosecutor named Drake, a Voyager who is trying to start a sterner way of handling Voyager adventures, mm-hmm. um, in which everyone is taken to task for everything they do wrong. And Phineas Bog basically kidnapped a child. <laughs> and it's basically just like you need to explain yeah, but... yourself. You lost well, your he's... book and you've been using this kid? You don't know how qualified this kid is? What if he doesn't know history? Everything you do is really dangerous and they have a point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they actually like, address that big Why did you, in you kidnap
0: a child? Well, I lost a book
1: and I've been using him. Why do you need the book? That's Didn't not go a to good class?
0: defense.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so they actually like address that I, that, I, I that I lost time.
0: my I lost my notepad. I needed to write my notes on something. What's so I weird, wrote it on a child.
1: What's weird is that they actually have this, like, pretty good justification to show clips, which mm-hmm. is uh, we need to show this moment of when he put, he says he's protecting the child. Here are all the moments he put the kid in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of thing. Um, but then, like, they'll have a moment where they're like, it's a break from the trial. And they're just, like, talking. It's just like, yeah, listen, if they, if they separate us, they're going to put you back in your timeline and you're not going to remember any of this. And the kid's like, oh, that would stink. Hey, remember that time we met Cleopatra? And they just yeah. do... They yeah. just do, hey, remember that time.
0: Well, and they have like a, a, like a little steampunk device that they can plug an Omni into, Yeah, uh, which allows them to like look at the flashbacks.
1: And there's a bit, actually, which is actually kind of effective, and John Eric Hexum really sells it, they're time travelers. They know what was supposed to happen to young Jeffrey, and he, the bad guy Drake just produces like a file and says, "Here's all the things that kid is supposed to do."
0: Yeah. So you need to give. You need to put him back yeah. in place. And
1: they and they look at the file. It's like, well, how much could it put? Oh my god, this kid is really important. It has a great future ahead of him. Jeffrey's like,
0: what? What? What is it? What is it? No, no, you can't see. You can't see. <laughs>
1: and then she's uh, welsh and then the the twist is that uh, drake the bad guy has been corrupt this whole time and he's mm. actually persecuted a lot of very excellent voyagers and he, and he
0: and he's taken notes of every single one of his crimes and yep. like like a dummy
1: like a like a well like a megalomaniac well, he's basically the bane bad guy who would be over mm. the course of the series um, he escapes and the twist which is actually kind of nice is um, Uh, all that stuff Jeffrey's supposed to do he's supposed to do it as a voyager
0: so he was destined to become a voyager
1: so the whole premise which is kind of like should he put that kid back is actually fine Mm. and I actually like that And it also kind of torpedoes that whole concept of them being aliens.
0: Well, it it torpedoes the concept of them being aliens. It also uh, finally addresses, well, you know, I can't bring you back to your timeline because we're just lost in time and all we have is this Omni and we just have to travel where it takes us. Yeah. Uh, Well, if they're finally talking to the people in charge, surely they have the means to return him. They're not just stuck with the one Omni anymore. They can do whatever they want and... You have to continue the series with those same characters. You do. Know, they so you either have to replace the characters, which they clearly didn't want to do, or come up with a uh, different sort of organic
1: reason why he needs to stay. I really like the ending of this episode because it ends with like the judge apologizing. Uh, here is your Omni back, congratulations! And they're like, "Yay, we got our Omni back!" And they and just your, and they just hit the button and they click through time. And here's, and here's, here's your, your book. new guidebook. Oh, God damn it! <laughs> they almost got a guidebook. <laughs> that's really funny mm. that's, that's legitimately really yeah. funny <laughs> And, um, and then
0: they keep on traveling, and we got, like, six yeah. more episodes. Yeah. There's a the next uh, episode
1: is the Pearl Harbor episode.
0: Pearl Harbor slash Pony Express.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> because they're related. So they go to Pearl Harbor. Uh, turns out General MacArthur died, and he wasn't supposed to, in Pearl Harbor. So mm-hmm. they go to Pearl Harbor to rescue General MacArthur. They end up getting arrested as potential spies because they're wandering around a military base dressed like pirates and also one of them is a kid. And they keep screaming about how they need to talk to General MacArthur. Mm-hmm yeah that you were that you, gonna you be attract arrested. some attention. <laughs> you were gonna be arrested for that and unfortunately,
0: um, the cop who arrests them like her story is so terrible. she oh, just needs really to bad. she needs to prove to daddy that she can do something. There have been so many strong women on this show. Why did we need one yeah. that needs to prove something to her daddy? We
1: haven't talked about it a lot the show really does give a lot of emphasis on female characters mm. throughout history, some of whom are... Second episode, some, we have Harriet Tubman. It's great. Yeah, some of whom... And, and honestly, she does get to, like, put them in their place a lot. Mm. Um, she's a little overly concerned with, like, oh, you you white kids, but you shouldn't uh, uh, rescue me because you'll get in trouble. I'm like, no, I, I don't care. You you should rescue me. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think we're... <laughs> You know, weird, weird attitude on that one. But uh, for the most part, yeah, they do make an effort to make sure the female characters are capable, exciting, smart, um, and aroused in the presence, and aroused John in the presence Aaron of John Hex Hex, Hex, and them. that is that is a thing. And that's an elf in the room, and you're either willing to go with that, <laughs> or you're not. And if you're not, fair enough. But uh, here, yeah, she's just there to be befuddled. They take her through time. She won't believe it. They have to uh, help Wild Bill do the Pony Express, mm. or else the Pony Express will never be. And they end up actually doing a time travel stick where they take a motorcycle from Pearl Harbor to <laughs> That's right. deliver medicine in the Old West. I'm which surprised I'm
0: they didn't do that more often.
1: Yeah, actually, like, it's it's a weird... I guess how they, they, how they are we going to get through r- the
0: Great Wall of China? Well, let's just go get a bazooka.
1: Right? Just blow it open. I mean, you can't mess with history too much, but, yeah, you, okay. you, at some point you can play. Um and then uh, they saved Jalen MacArthur and uh, yeah. everything's okay. and then she was like oh but I always loved you and I'm like I don't know I don't buy this there's a future episode in which Bog actually does meet someone he falls in love with and I buy it but this is yeah. not that episode
0: um did you recognize one of the army generals? No. Uh, from, uh, it was David Graff, an actor named David Graff, who played mm. Eugene Tackleberry in the Police Academy movies. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. I didn't
1: recognize him. Mm. All right, so the next episode of Voy- is Voyagers of the Titanic, which we've already talked a bit about. Mm. Uh, they're on the Titanic.
0: and This is another one where they run into another Voyager.
1: Yeah, they're on the Titanic, and uh, it turns out that someone else on the ship has an Omni, and they don't know who or why, and Hexum goes to see him. He's not sure if he's a Voyager or if he stole it. Turns out he stole it. He kidnapped a Voyager who was trying to rescue the Mona Lisa, yeah. which had been stolen from was... the guy who stole the Mona Lisa. <laughs> which is a little roundabout.
0: And it's on the Titanic somehow. And they and have to right. get it
1: off the Titanic, mm. but then they plop into Louis Pasteur and they have to stop rabies. Yeah,
0: we, we, we talked
1: about this a It's lot a long episode, but it's a, it's a good episode. It's, a good it's, it's fun. It does what it needs to do. Uh, the next episode is called <laughs> Pursuit. Um, and in this episode... Uh, There is no Cape Kennedy in 1969. uh, The United States lost the space race Mm -hmm. because Russia managed to take all of the German scientists after World War II. So they have to go to World War II and they have to rescue all the German scientists. It's actually pretty focused for an episode. It's the only one where they
0: don't go to multiple timelines. At at least Um,
1: multiple, like, unrelated timelines. Um, And um, it's fine. It's kind of a nondescript World War II Mm -hmm. episode.
0: I, I think they they try to say that Werner von Braun is kind of a hero, which uh, not really, uh, not, not not really so
1: much. Um, yeah, let's uh, move on. I,
0: I learned about Werner von Braun from Tom Lehrer, of course. Yeah. He, he sings a song about Werner von Braun. Go listen to that song. That's you'll, you'll learn about Werner von Braun.
1: Uh, the the next episode, uh, Destiny's Choice, scratched scratched an itch for me because I love old school Hollywood history, and they have a fun <laughs> alternate reality where they yeah. end up in um they end up in 1928 mm-hmm. where. Director Franklin Delano Roosevelt is making the first sync sound picture. Meanwhile, there's a phantom of the theater who's trying to prevent sound from overtaking Hollywood and putting all the good people out of work who do things like write title cards or Mm. act, even though they have a lisp. Um,
0: And it's not Claraboe, but it's
1: Claraboe. It's basically Claraboe. Um... And um, that's fun. Honestly, I had fun with all of that. That was actually really a real delight for me. It
0: it gets so distracted with the Franklin Franklin Delano Roosevelt stuff. Like, they catch up with him a little later in life, and he can't really walk, and there's this long, arduous portion of this episode where they're just teaching him how to walk again.
1: Yeah, what happens is they go back in time, and they need to make sure he follows a career in politics instead Mm. of Hollywood. And basically, they have to make sure that he doesn't feel sorry for himself uh, because you know he we was struggling with polio, he couldn't mm. walk, and um, yeah, it gets a little maudlin. Mm. And by a little, I mean, a lot. You're
0: doing it, Franklin. You're doing it. Who are you? I'm the the radiator repairman. <laughs> like he never dropped that that act. He's never said, "Okay, I'm really from the future, and you're you're going to do important things." Like never, <laughs> no. Why is he still here? And he has a kid with him now.
2: Oh my
1: God!
0: I'm Franklin Delano Roosevelt
1: the next episode yeah. uh, they in 1938 they have to convince Joe Lewis not to quit uh, his rematch with mm. Max Schmeling. <laughs> uh, I don't know sports, so someone had they, the show had to explain to me why this was important. Uh, but apparently, it no. is, um, and
0: Joe—it's it's Joe, it's an know, important
1: I, fight. I know of Joe Lewis. I don't know the bullet points of his career. All right, um, and well, now a, you
0: do because you watched a show about
1: history. I did actually. So fair enough. There's <laughs> although I what I didn't know was that in order to prepare for his rematch with Max Schmeling, uh, Joe Lewis reenacted Rocky. Like they More have to train, less. they have to train Joe Lewis and the kids. It's like I've seen Rocky; I know what to do. And it just cuts to Joe Lewis doing push-ups, and I'm like, he would do push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> but then they get a big slab of meat. So yeah, fight yeah. The meat, and I'm like, okay, that's kind of funny. Um, I
0: saw this in a movie once. I think the show was the same year as Rocky Three. So Rocky One was... and Two
1: were already out. I don't think Rocky yeah. Three was yet, but Rocky One and Two definitely worked. Okay. And Rocky was a huge hit. Obviously, it the kid like... would not. Um, the the. The side quest on this one is actually kind of funny. Uh, they pop into an airplane, and at first I thought they were going to be doing DB Cooper. Cooper.
0: Yeah, because there's there's a hijacking going on. Yeah,
1: DB Cooper is one of the most notorious unsolved crimes in American history. It's a guy who hijacked a plane, stole a bunch of movies, parachuted out, and no one ever bunch, found where the money, like,
0: like a suitcase of cash.
1: Yeah, it's just a daring crime. And
0: although some recent reports they found some of the cash. Yeah, the cash like was it, distributed somewhere, yeah.
1: Well no no not like, oh, like they found it hidden?
0: Th- th- no, they found like shreds of it in the Oregon woods. Like oh. he I, I, either he dropped some or nobody knows what happened. Fascinating. David Dakota made a movie where D B Cooper jumped out of that plane, landed in the woods of Oregon, and while he was lost in the woods had to fight Bigfoot. Okay, that's awesome. That's an awesome premise. But because it's directed by David <laughs> Dakota 80 minutes of the 90-minute movie are actually just the guys credits. guys with oh. no shirts wandering through a mansion and taking showers, and I'm not kidding. Oh my god, that's
2: amazing. <laughs> I was going to say it was going to be the credits, because that's another, that's
1: another trick he does to get you to 90 minutes. Just the last 10 minutes are so credits. Just credits. Um... That's mm-hmm. that's really fun. Uh, instead, it's, it's an airplane hijacking. The guy uses knockout gas. The plane's supposed to crash. but It's a uh, Batman episode. It's a Batman episode. Uh, the kid ends up having to land the plane. Uh, did you recognize the air traffic controller who was helping the kid down? Joe
0: McCroskey, wasn't uh, it, from L- the
1: airplane? Uh, LQ Jones, the director of A Boy and His Dog. Oh, that's
0: right. It was LQ Jones. Yeah. I remember seeing that in the credits. I'd forgotten a, about that.
1: It's, it's a simple role. He just has to kind of tell the kid, okay, this mm-hmm. plane basically lands itself. You see that knob? Put it down to 1040 there's a bit after the kid lands the plane where LQ Jones like takes off his headset mm. and like after being really, really supportive, you see just how scared he was. He actually gives like a really good little performance uh-huh. in one scene. where it's just like, wow, well, good, good job LQ Jones. <laughs> but the gag at the end is, you know, they save everything and the Omni turns green and the kids are just like, what happened? What did we do? And, there's a moment where Bog says, well, "Listen, not every person in history is famous. Some who knows who was on this plane. Mm. Um, it could just be that all these people needed to live, and that's a good thing, and we should track that up in history. And, and who knows? Maybe someone on the plane was famous. And then hey, Jimmy Jimmy Carter, Carter yeah. literally walks by in a cameo from from <laughs> former President Jimmy Carter." <laughs> That's pretty funny Yeah man. <laughs> That's pretty... And Jimmy it's... Carter can't even act in that one scene Like he has to walk past the camera And he can't help but sort of look at the camera
0: Hey Jimmy Carter
1: <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy Carter Run for president, um, Carter, run for president. Yeah, I love how we're, we're referencing Warrior from the Lost World As we talk about <laughs> Jimmy Carter The next episode no, I'm just doing a
0: very bad Jimmy Carter impersonation
1: Okay, The next episode uh, The second last episode There's only mm-hmm. two left uh, they end up at Dwight D. Eisenhower's parents' house where he's about to be born, but there's a problem with the pregnancy and they can't call for help because Alexander Graham sure. Bell
2: hasn't didn't invent- invented
0: the phone. Again, <laughs> surely other problems would have arisen with no telephone. Then you can't call a doctor to the
1: infant Eisenhower's house. Fair enough, but this is what they got. And yeah. so they go... To try to get uh, Alexander Graham Bell, and the problem is he doesn't have funding, and the problem, the reason why he doesn't have funding, is because the funding came from the father of the woman he was supposed to marry. Problem is, Bog falls in love with her first, and Bog. This has is better, the Edith Keeler episode. Bog has mm-hmm. better chemistry with her. Mm-hmm. I actually. By their relationship, well, they're actually like really sweet between and her funny and and there
0: was a, a kind of a we didn't we didn't mention it, but there's sort of a romantic regard with the other Voyager character. Yeah, that, that they met well. on the Titanic. That and well too. They were both like such capable adventurers that they did have like an instant mag- magnetism toward another, and mm-hmm. I liked her that character as well. I totally forgot her name, uh, but yeah, the woman that Alexander Graham Bell was supposed to marry. He says, "Well, I'll teach you how to romance this boring." He's like an accountant, Alexander Graham Bell. Well the
1: other thing is that she was and in real life she was deaf mm. Alexander Graham Bell actually taught the deaf um and he taught her uh, point of fact so uh she has a lot of hang-ups about men who would be attracted to her because she's a pretty woman mm. but then they'd find out she was deaf and they just sort of back away so he helped her try to come out of her shell and like learn to trust men again and give this guy a shot in the process completely falling in love with her mm. And I really buy
2: it. I legit, and he even <laughs> from both like, of them.
1: And, and yeah, honestly, like I really buy that they would probably be a good couple together. And he has to basically like. He even talks to Jeffrey. He's like, "Is there any way we could fund the telephone?" other than getting him to marry this lady because I'm really in love with her and I'm considering retiring. Yeah, yeah. And he says like, no. And Bog actually has to, they, they do the, the City on the Edge of uh, Forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, City on the Edge of Forever? City on the Edge of Forever. Okay. Uh, they, they, the, the Edith Keeler played by yeah. uh, uh, Joan Collins. i are going to say was City on the Edge of Tomorrow, but it's sitting on the Edge of Forever and it's basically just, I have to let her go for the good of the timeline. Mm-hmm. And it is, hurts him. And John Eric Hexham, who mostly is just asked to be capable and dashing and a little dumb, um, Mm. pulls out a little good little bit of acting. You can see how much it hurts him. Yeah. And that's actually a a very effective episode. And it's it's a good way, since we're coming to the end of the season, it's like, let's do something
0: a little heftier. Yeah. A little bit more character-driven than history-driven.
1: And it speaks well of Voyagers that, like, a lot of the times on Cancel Too Soon... Mm. Uh, a lot of shows get cancelled because they honestly aren't very good or they run out Of material or they haven't found the concept Voyager is actually consistently getting better for the most part
2: mm-hmm.
1: The characters are getting a little Richer, the storylines are getting a little Sharper and more creative and Yeah, uh, yeah and, and, this was actually a really good Step. And then they go off on a dumb One. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, but I like it. I had fun I had fun with
0: it. I had fun. Okay, so Nellie Bly is in England Yes, uh, Arthur Nellie Bly,
1: if you don't know Nellie Bly, yeah. she's a very famous American reporter who actually embedded herself in a mental institution in order to expose just how fucked up those practices are. Right. And, she's, and she's actually something of a personal hero of mine. I think she's really okay. amazing.
0: She, she's amazing. She's uh, investigating the Jack the Ripper murders. Uh, as it turns out, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle mm-hmm. has run dry of Sherlock Holmes' ideas and has decided to live like Sherlock Holmes by... Taking out an apartment on Baker Street uh-huh. and speaking like Holmes and trying to get into Holmes' head, and in so doing, solving the Jack the Murder Jack the Ripper murders, okay. Jack, Jack the murderer Jack the Ripper murders with Nellie
1: Bly. Okay, now Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. and Jack the Ripper are both characters. Of varying degrees of fictionality, Jack the Ripper wasn't his name, that's all I'm saying. Well, we don't really know who he is, he was, so we have to extrapolate in order to we, tell stories. There,
0: there was a murderer. His, his nickname is Nom de Kill was Jack the Ripper.
1: Yes, but other than that, we actually know incredibly little, and so most Jack the Ripper stories, in order to sort of have a theory about who it was, they have to create a fictional person right. or add a fictional backstory to a real person, so jack the ripper has been sort of shoehorned into everything into time travel stories before mm. fuck it time after time it's a great movie <laughs> um, time after time is great uh, and sherlock holmes one of the most adapted characters in mm. all of literature sherlock holmes has done battle with jack the ripper on more than one occasion mm. i'm particularly fond of murder by decree <laughs> with christopher Plummer as uh, uh, sherlock holmes mm. uh that's a really good really creepy atmospheric movie and it's it's neat um And And
0: there's an author out there named Lauren D. Esselman who
1: did uh, –
0: sort of fanfic Sherlock Holmes fan fiction where Sherlock Holmes meets other like literary figures I think he does Jack the Ripper in one of those in one he meets Dracula
1: oh that's fun (laughs) I I read a comic once that was Sherlock Holmes meets Dracula it was actually Mm. very well put together Sherlock Holmes is just one of those characters where you can kind of plop him into any story and it kind of works like Mm. Batman just throw Batman in there and it's like I know what Batman would do I I can see this being in there. here's
0: Batman fighting Darth Vader the
1: problem with this episode which is aptly titled Jack's Back um is it's just too many things it's yeah. jack the ripper and it's nelly bly and it's sherlock holmes but it's also sir arthur conan doyle and it turns out that the, the jack true the ripper, identity of
0: jack the ripper Well,
1: sort of they they hedge their bets on it they could yeah. just say he's impersonating jack the ripper but mm. uh drake the evil voyager comes back and he's imp- at least impersonating jack the ripper if he isn't right. actually jack the ripper um it's just too many things. You got to remove one of those things. Just mm. say Sherlock Holmes was real, and like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle faked a bunch of stuff, and is actually just some guy named yeah. Sherlock Holmes who was really smart and solved a couple of crimes. You could have done that. Mm. Just make it Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and like let the stop making pretending he actually lives on on Baker Street. Like just let him be <laughs> Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Take out Nellie Bly. Mm. Change like remove one thing, mm. and the episode becomes a lot less dumb and a lot. Less unwieldy. Like it actually just would work better. What was the name of the actor who played Doyle? Because I've seen him. Oh, in like yeah, a he's, thousand things., uh, sorry, I think Doyle was
0: Michael Ensign. That's right. Michael Ensign. yeah, um, Michael Ensign would, has been in. He everything. was the hotel
1: manager in Ghostbusters. <laughs> a lot of You people definitely recognize him that. from Ghostbusters uh, He was in Titanic, he mm. was in Pink Floyd the Wall He also played in Hotel Manager uh, He was in War Games He has 173 credits on yeah. IMDb yeah, yeah. And he's still acting So he's he's well, a very prolific actor mm. So you've seen him in stuff And that's oh, man, a lot of the cast
2: in this People, like, people um, like
0: Michael Ensign Keep the industry afloat they do. The, those, those people who are always in supporting roles Those great character actors mm. Who always play like, a very specific type it, there, it's always a delight the the, the the hey it's that guy I I was convinced in my mind at one point that they were going to save the world those actors mm-hmm. like there's going to be some sort of horrible crisis and those actors were going to get together and save the world they're the, the backbone world.
1: of the industry like yeah. you, you need small roles mm-hmm. and you need people who can do them well and if you can do them well you'll probably do a bunch of them and mm-hmm. then you become a recognizable and, and character in, actor
0: and in, in their own way they are better more capable actors than some of the bigger stars a lot
1: of the time yeah, yeah. Um, I want to give a shout out uh, to Julia Duffy who plays uh, Nellie Bly Julie Duffy from uh, New Art Mm -hmm. Um, really good actor just doesn't always get like a cool role like this she just gets to be just kind of heroic and neat Mm -hmm. Um, yeah the episode just kind of ends ends with uh, everything kind of coming together there's a bad Voyager out there now we deal with that in season two I guess had there been a season Had two, there been yeah. a season two uh, The show, again, was relatively expensive for its time slot But mostly just the network wanted to do something else with that time slot And they probably figured a new show would cost mm-hmm. less And uh, they'd be able to siphon away 60 Minutes as audience So this show got cancelled And tragically that sent John Herrick Hexham in- Indirectly sure. uh, To a very untimely end um, Mia Pellucci had an interesting career after this. Uh, for a while, he taught high school history. <laughs> which, Fittingly <laughs> enough. Which is kind of cool. And now he is a professional photographer who has worked with a bunch of famous actors. He's done, like, Lady Gaga album covers. Nice. Like, he's, oh, he's, nice. Okay. He's quite successful. Um, and, and as we mentioned before, he's the half-brother of Soleil Moonfry, which makes us uh, replacing our Voyagers episode initially with Where's Rodney kind of fitting. <laughs> Solomon Fry was in that.
0: Solomon Fry was in there.
1: Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Well, really uh, we need to address. Th- this is a
0: show for kids, and if they decided to sort of spin it off or continue it in a less expensive way,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I can imagine uh, like Lou Schimer or Hanna Barbera. Getting a hold of this and doing a thirty-minute animated version of a mm-hmm. voyage, or even
1: just a really cheap Land of the Lost version, you know, with like oh, well, late, you know, just really half-assed visual effects. That would but have the, been terrible. Char- I can still imagine it. I mean, I, the animated series would have been terrible too, but at least it would have worked. Especially in the era. Like if you'd done it in the nineties, it might have been kind of cool. Maybe. Well, like yeah. in the eighties, it would have been cheap.
0: Well, and they kind of did. Well, I guess Hysteria doesn't isn't the same kind of thing. But no, that was all broad a, comedy.
1: Yeah. But. Um, but they did like a back to the future animated series i think mm. in the 90s and stuff and it could have worked i i'm i if this had lasted 100 episodes it would have been relatively easy especially since they wisely started introducing other elements mm. if it had just been we visit we go back in time and then we go back in time again and then we go back to the first place we went back in time every episode the formula would have gotten stale by the end of season 1 mm. but they started promising yeah. like listen we do know how the voyagers work there will be an evil voyager out there which will kind of spice things up a bit it's going to be a little less happenstance a little bit more foiling a bad mm-hmm. guy who actually like can do what they do which you don't want that every episode but every third episode that would really you know keep it
2: yeah. a sense of
1: variety i think would be really really great you could trade off a bit you could bring in new supporting cast members another Voyager joins them for a few episodes there are ways to make a relatively simple formula pretty varied
2: mm-hmm.
1: and hell maybe his jurisdiction changes maybe at some point they go into the future they could do it yeah, why well. not the possibilities are mostly endless um, and with John Eric Hexum and Mino Pellucci they had great chemistry. Really and, good chemistry. And I want to see their adventures. Partway, and
0: partway through the series, you could tell that they were honing in on their characters. Yeah. You can watch any number of these Cancel Too Soon shows where the, the main actors just never figure out what their characters are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Even after many, many episodes, they just never really got a handle on it.
1: And part, sometimes I'm, that's I'm, the writing. I'm, look, I'm looking at you,
0: Total Recall. Yeah. <laughs> Some,
1: but like, there's yeah. a bunch of reasons for that. Maybe the actors weren't up to snuff. Maybe the writing hadn't figured it out yet. Maybe there were executive changes that happened half way through the show. All of those things happened. Here, everything was going kind of right. It Mm -hmm. actually really bugs me that this was cancelled when it was cancelled, because this could have had a long relatively successful life. The ratings were pretty good. They
0: just weren't good enough.
1: They weren't good enough Mm. that the network didn't think it was something they needed to save. Um, I Um, think the show was definitely cancelled too soon. I I, I had a a blast with this show.
0: I agree. I agree. I I think the writing still needed to evolve into something a little bit more perfect. I think, I think the romance episodes were like stronger, Mm -hmm. but when they're sort of randomly skipping around through history without giving any sort of actual historical context for the connection between the eras, it felt sloppy. Mm -hmm. It felt like we're just going to throw them in front of Lewis and Clark. No, you got to go that way. Okay, done.
1: And I appreciate when they like, that, you know, they're playing a little fast and loose with history. Every once in a while, they would do something historical that even at the time we knew was bullshit. Right. Like they do a thing where uh, Mina Pucci's like, hey, we had to get Babe Ruth on a baseball team and even Bob is just like, it's just baseball. Who
2: cares? Like it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, not it's a fun
1: game. I, who cares, though? He's just going to like, no, it's really important. You don't understand. One time there was a sick kid in a hospital. Yeah, I know. Ruth, like, <laughs> That's from a movie. That's not a thing. Well, it would be funny if they
0: played it up as if the show knew that was BS. Like, yeah. But, you no, is this is important because this one sick kid in the hospital. Fine, fine, fine. Shut up. I'll help this d- asshole get on a baseball team. <laughs> Hey babe, here's some whiskey. You ready to play? Okay, good, great. So I, I think if they had honed in a little bit more on the actual history of it, yeah. it would have been a much stronger show.
1: I agree. Uh, but
0: but as, so. but as it is, it's still a really good show. It's still was, really fun to watch.
1: And you know, there are a lot of shows that have like room to grow after the first season. But mm. here, the foundation is really, really strong. It's just a matter of sharpening it. Mm. There's really nothing wrong with it. It just could have gotten even better. And there's no reason why not. And man, I am really bummed out about the death of John Eric Hexham. I mean, I know it was decades ago now, but I just met him. (laughs) And he was great. He was super dashing. Like, he could have been a big, big star. Yeah, yeah. And it really depresses me that such a horrible thing
0: happens. Mm. um, He he wasn't just a pretty face. He actually was playing his part and playing it well.
1: We've toyed with... There are a couple of shows that were canceled because main actors passed away. Mm. Uh, Training Day, most recently with Bill Paxton. Right. Um, and uh, uh, the, the other John Eric Hexam show, Cover
2: Up. Cover, cover Up. Cover up,
1: cover yeah. up. Um, they technically tried to continue without him by just having like a new hero mm. come in. It's like, oh, I have a new partner. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that one quite qualifies, but that one, it, we know why they got canceled. It's not the show's fault. Right. Um but I am still interested I do still want to see cover up. Okay. So maybe at some point. Just so we'll, we can come. get
0: get a little bit more John Eric Hexam in our I, diet. I think he
1: deserves I think he deserves it, man. Mm. I think he deserves to to live on. He's really a fun actor. So <laughs> um yeah, Voyagers is on DVD. Yeah. Um it's still I think it's streaming on Amazon on Amazon. I don't know if it's Amazon Prime or not. Mm. Um, but it's relatively easy to find and it's fun. It's a really, really fun show. Um, and if you like stuff like, you know, Knight Rider or The Incredible Hulk, that's sort of somewhat fantastical 80s episodic action adventure stuff, and you never watched it, I recommend checking it out. I think you'll have a really good time.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and that's Voyagers.
0: That's Voyagers. Yeah. Sorry it took us so long, but there's a, yeah. there a lot to go through.
1: It was a long show mm-hmm. with long episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad we went through it. And uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, this was a Patreon poll. Um. Thank you to the uh, Patreon s- was, listeners, it
0: was, and it was also a donation. So thanks for that.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I don't have the the name of that one. A lot of them are anonymous. Um. But uh, yeah, this is really great. So right. thank you, everybody. Uh, do we have any letters? Oh, uh, we do. Let me uh, find okay. Let me if, find you wanna, if you want to if you want to email us.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh. What's our email? too soon at gmail.com it sure is <laughs> thank you we,
2: we
0: changed the email of our other podcast yeah. and now it's just thrown everything out of whack in our brains
1: uh, so you can email us there you can also uh, join us at patreon.com slash cancel too soon where you can get bonus episodes like the cancel Too Soon monthly movie where mm. we review TV movies miniseries and specials one-offs TV ephemera mm. also only the best where we review all of the best picture nominees of the Academy Awards in order uh, <laughs> year three is coming up really real soon we just have one more movie that's a little hard to track down uh but we should be able to order a vhs of it this week yeah um and uh and then after that we're gonna have to start going to the ucla library because there are a few that are only available there (laughs) so i'm so glad we live in los Mm -hmm. angeles it's really convenient um so that's going on there we also have other patreon exclusive stuff Mm -hmm. like another poll uh we will be releasing a new poll Mm -hmm. Uh, For the month of August, you get to pick an episode of Cancel Too Soon in the month of August. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. All right. Uh, do we have a letter?
0: Here is a letter. This one comes from Riley. Hi, Riley. Hi. Uh, hi, Bibbs and Whitney. Please bear with me for a moment as I explain the logic of my recent quarter-life crisis and how it relates to your podcast. Neat. Uh, while I've been listening to the backlog of your episodes, I was thinking about shows I would like to hear you two talk about, namely that of adult animation. Mm. During my very early teenage years, I would stay up late in my bedroom and begin to explore the light of the, the world of late-night television. At this time, The Simpsons had just passed the prime of its run— Uh, Which, I guess your mileage may vary on the prime of The Simpsons for you. Mm. Uh, But both Family Guy and Futurama were briefly thriving as supplements on Fox. Additionally, this was when Cartoon Network dedicated a block of time late at night to adult-themed shows, of course being coming Adult Swim. All three of those shows, plus uh, shows like Home Movies and Harvey Birdman and Terminator Law, helped to refine my developing sardonic and self-deprecating sense of humor. However, I quickly found pockets of TV that were showing other adult animated shows that were trying to match the same appeal, particularly Family Guy. So there, there were shows like The Oblongs, mm-hmm. uh, One I Love, Clone High, and Mission Hill. These would pop up. Of all these, failed to last more than one season due, uh, due to animation being costly and not being able to justify their existences without a strong audience's, and they were all cancelled. This past year, I turned 25. And I revisited Mission Hill. The show centers on a nerdy, high-strung, and intelligent Kevin, who moves to the tidal city to live with his lazy and cynical brother Andy, where the two engage in sibling rivalry against the backdrop of this proto-hipster Seattle-esque city. Andy and his other roommates are in their 20s, which means uh, through low-paying jobs and venturing out into the night scene for sarcastic observations and drinking until their eyes are crossed. All of this was relatable to me in a way that I couldn't have possibly have imagined 15 years before. And as I was watching, I realized that I am at this, what I should call, standard TV age. Where I uh, where the protagonist is depicted to represent a certain demographic and is thus given an age that can be a summation of a particular age group. For example, teenagers are usually grouped by whatever, uh, whether or not they have reached certain teenage milestones, such as driving or graduating high school. Right. So what sparked this crisis of sorts was me realizing that I was the standard age as defined by television. I am the same age now as Andy was then, the same age as Fry was at the start of Futurama. Yep. Uh, I was the same age as Monica in season one of Friends. According to TV, my life is now going to be a collection of hijinks and misadventures with my friends where I live somewhere that I cannot realistically afford, and I'm a lousy (laughs) romantic partner and I work somewhere with a comedic and overbearing boss. It's been interesting to reflect on this period in my life as a parallel to TV. While not, it's not realistic, I'm coming to understand the pivoting change of what is to come as I mature into my 30s and so on. So after all this rambling, my question for you too is this. What is your perspective on certain TV shows as you reach different periods in your life? Knowing what you know about yourself now, how has this affected what you watch, uh, what you what you watch currently and what you used to watch when you were younger. Mm. Sorry for the heady question, but I'm sure this is something everyone thinks about periodically. Anyway, as an aside, it'd be great to see you two dedicate some episodes to forgotten adult animation shows. Uh, ones I I didn't mention, like uh, Moonbeam City or Father of the Pride. Those are all on our list. Thank you.
1: Those are all on our list. And uh, we, we also want to get some of the ones like you're talking about the post-Family Guide boom. There's also a post-Simpsons boom with stuff yeah. like Family Dog and Fish Police and uh, we're going to get to all of that. Some I, of them are harder to track down than others.
0: I, I have floated the idea and I w- would love to hear, listeners and William, your input on this. A month de- dedicated to David Kirshner, the producer who did all of those animated shows. Yeah,
1: that search all... engine optimization will love that. Ooh, all these David Kirshner searches. <laughs> Look, <are> gonna...
0: <laughs> David Kirshner did like a dozen <laughs> failed shows and they're all interesting. So yeah. I'd i would love to do a a month dedicated to David Kirshner, if we can find his show. I'm
1: not against it at all. That sounds fun. Um, It's also just an excuse to get fish police into our rotation. We'll get fish police. I want to get fish police. (laughs) I'm excited about fish police. Um, That's a good question. And I think there's something that... I've thought about uh, Mm -hmm. as I've grown up and I've started to see because when you're a kid you watch all of these stories about people in different age groups teenagers Mm -hmm. 20-somethings 30-somethings 40-somethings and and so on and some of the better ones you can really emotionally connect to but a lot of the ones you're just sort of watching them and you get the gist of it but then you get older and you realize that there mm. is some connective tissue that there is yeah. something that they are saying about what it's like to be in your 20s and figuring your life out or in your 30s and starting to sense that you're maturing but you're mm. not there yet or uh, and and so on and so forth i'm only in my 30s so i can only attest mm. a- um, Guess where I am? You're 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 40. Happy I just
0: birthday. I just turned 40. <laughs> Happy birthday!
1: This is 40.
0: This is 40.
1: Now you finally understand that Judd Apatow movie.
0: Uh, yeah, every last bit of it because sure. I live in a big mansion with Leslie Mann. Yep. Yeah, I totally understand. I totally relate <laughs> to that movie.
1: Um, th- that's something that we're all going to connect with. We're all connect with in a different level. One thing I have noticed lately, mm-hmm. uh, my life has been sort of turning more into a sitcom. Like, things have been happening that didn't used to happen, but, and I thought only happened on TV. Like, a couple months ago, uh, I went to, uh, my wife was having a bad day, so I went to her favorite bakery, which is across town, to get her, Mm -hmm. like, a slice of cake. Because it's her favorite cake. And I go there, and I leave the bakery, and I swing this bag with, like, a box of cake in it, and I just barely brush up against a bicycle and it knocks over a line of bicycles in a domino effect like i didn't know that actually happened and it turns out it did the other day i go to get a haircut and i realized that was the beginning of the haircut episode of insert sitcom here when i it's a new hairdresser i've never worked with them before and he just looks at me, and he's like, what do you want? I was like, I just want to look good. And he looks at me in the eye, and he says, well, listen, I can't work miracles. <laughs> oh, jeez. Which is like, Jesus Christ, dude. I mean, <laughs> I appreciate you, your honesty, you but under, my
0: God. You know he, like, has that in his back pocket and, like, uses it three times a week. But it's that barber. so
1: mean. I was like, does this curb your enthusiasm? This stuff happens? It's so dire uh he I, gave me a good haircut thank god but like mm-hmm. you know or at least uh, as good as he could i guess so uh,
0: listener riley uh i i totally understand the moment you were describing uh where you realize that you are sort of right in the the cusp of you're the center and the you are the most coveted demographic and you mm-hmm. realize everything's geared toward you uh it will pass you by. It will. And it'll be sort of freeing, I think, when you are no longer the focus of every last bit of marketing and you are finally granted that sweet, sweet perspective that you kind of need. Where it's you can kind of look at it from an outsider because they don't Hollywood doesn't care about you anymore. The TV producers don't care about you anymore, specifically.
1: Well, like when you're when you're,
0: you're you're a less powerful a dollar and less coveted a market.
1: Well, when and also just there's mm. that level of intensity, but also when you're not part of that target demo, and also when you just get older and you have other things on your mind besides mm-hmm. what's going to entertain you, like family, mm. work. Bills, the, the, the real world, essentially. The, the, the yeah. real world. Not always fun. Sometimes wonderful, mm. but not always fun. Um There's less pressure to keep up with everything. Right. When you're right, in your right. 20s and everything's aimed at you and everything is treated like it's the biggest deal in the world, you feel like you're supposed to watch every new show. Mm. Like every this, season. This,
0: this is your culture. This is what's important to you. You don't have to do shit. Yeah, I'm gonna well,
1: tell you that right. You can get you can jump ch- ahead of the game right now. You're not interested. You don't have to watch that. If it's good, it's oh, still okay if you didn't watch it. <laughs> I mean, you might if you want to, but like you can mm. just you can chill. And I, now that I'm in like my late 30s, mm. I feel way more chill. About like I might be keeping up with the stuff that you don't necessarily want to keep up with. Even stuff I like, I still haven't seen season two of Jessica Jones. I loved season one of Jessica Jones. I'll get to it eventually. There is no rush for me. (laughs) I can just chill. It's the, great. I didn't need to spend an entire day binging it. It's there for some weekend when I have the time. The, the frustrating thing about uh, my
0: early 30s was I was still friends with a lot of people in their 20s who were trying to keep <laughs> up with this all that crap. Yeah. And they insisted that I follow them. And I'm like, nope. I don't want to, and they would call me an asshole because I wasn't going to watch that show anymore. Dude, it's Like I'm trying to give this stuff up.
1: You know what's I don't ab-
0: need to follow that crap anymore. You know
1: what's great about being in your thirties, and you can do this at any time, but wow. in your thirties, people don't mind. Like the people are, don't don't like give you like weird guilt trips about not going out. Mm. It's like you can just like, hey, what are you doing tonight? I'm going to stay home. I'm going to read a book.
0: Ooh, like, and you know what? What people- did you do today? I took a nap people get
1: jealous <laughs> it's really cool it's like yeah i went out i went you white read, water you rafting like the, the,
0: the hot new novel no i'm gonna read a non-fiction book you haven't heard of what? <laughs> and it's great i'm gonna learn about the history of peanut butter
1: i love i don't like getting old because getting old you know your back starts to hurt all that well, kind of you stuff mean physically like, you don't physically like physically i don't yeah. like getting old who does I like getting more mature. (laughs) That part's great. And it doesn't have to be not fun. You think of it as like you're going to be on this old fogey stick in the mud dad from a 1950s sitcom. Mm. No, it's just a lot of stuff is just not important anymore. And you start focusing on the things that really matter to you. Mm. And it's great um so you have my point is that you have that to look forward to yeah but for now yeah you're hot shit (laughs) right now you're you're everyone wants you you're the most popular person in school and i I understand how for a while and i understand why
0: all all that attention can actually be a little dizzying and understand that you're when you're at the age where everything's geared at you stepping out is an option for you Mm -hmm. and stepping out well that can make you cool if you do it right so, yeah, you, you have all the options to consider. And don't feel like you need it. If you want it, take it. You can leave it behind.
1: The uh, last piece of advice, don't let it go to your head. Yeah, yeah. This, just because uh, everything's geared toward you doesn't mean it should be. <laughs> doesn't mean it's better that way. But
0: it doesn't mean it's more important.
1: It's just the way it works. And it's short, and mm. there are other people who would kill for that. Mm. So... Treat it with some responsibility.
0: And start watching Film
1: Uh <laughs>
2: Yes, Filmstruck is great. And,
0: and I, want to watch, uh, I, want to, I want to read one more letter because it's from somebody named Moxie Labouche. Ooh. Hello, Moxie Labouche. Hi. Uh, afternoon. Great show. You guys have covered so many of my favorite short-lived sci-fi schlock, but there's one notable entry missing. <gasps> Alien Nation. I <sighs> got... Like it got brought back as a mate, as made for TV movies, similar to Futurama's arc, but it had, did have only one regular season. It ended with a cliffhanger that wasn't resolved for five years, meaning the daughter of the main character fell into a coma at age 12 and then woke up at age 17. Wow. Uh, it's one of those shows that I, I couldn't wait to show to my husband until I went back and watched it. <laughs> Smiley face. Keep up the good work. Moxie LaBouche.
1: I watched Alien Nation when it was on. Mm. And I haven't since. So my memory of it is a little hazy. Mm-hmm. I remember liking it. And it's one of the ones that we want to do, but it's something that we're really going to have to commit to doing maybe by the end of the year beginning of next year, mm-hmm. which is a theme month we're calling
0: Kinda. Kinda. Because be- you mentioned it did come back as TV movies. That counts as another season, really. Yeah. Uh, several, t- I think there were four TV movies. That's so, a bad, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of my dearest childhood friends that I was babies with appears in the background of one of the Alien Nation movies. That's cool. And her dad has a speaking line. Ah, that's really fun. He plays a character named Phil Dirt.
1: Yeah, but at this point we're starting to accumulate some, like, really well-known shows that technically lasted one season but did have some kind of follow-up or maybe they were allowed to burn off a few episodes in order to finish up the story, like Jericho. Um, So at some point we will do a theme month where we tackle some of the more popular or at least some of the more interesting uh, shows that canceled but still got a second chance. Although the one exception that is Firefly, which we will still only cover if we get 250 patrons. That's our goal. And once we do that, and when we and again when we do that, we'll do one podcast per episode of Firefly.
0: Although we're hovering around 120 right now, I'm impressed. So we, we got a lot of you right now, and thank you
1: everybody. Th- thank you to very special thank you to our
0: patrons. A special thank you to our patrons. All all of our patrons are very very dear. Even if you're just pitching in like a buck a month, it's it's really really wonderful. And even if you're not pitching in, we do like that you're listening. Yeah. And we like that you're writing in. And we like that you're interacting with us, or you're just sitting back and letting us fill your ears.
1: Yeah, it it means a lot to us. Again, this was. Mm-hmm one of those ideas that was either like people were going to really enjoy it and sort of glom onto what we dig about it or no one would give a shit and we would be canceled too soon. <laughs> um, but people care and people care enough to contribute. And boy, does that help us keep going? Yeah. Like yeah, literally yeah. just day to day money, <laughs> everything, <laughs> well, it, it, you know, <laughs> it, it really just helps.
0: It, it, and it helps us bring the show to you and it helps yeah. us get like, have the time to watch these shows and, and, you know, have access to some of these shows and, in some cases pay for some of these shows. So uh, you are literally helping fund the show by by being a Patreon subscriber. So thank you for that. And you are you know, offering us a service and offering yourself a really fantastic service as well.
1: Um, Yeah, and again, if you can't contribute to Patreon, Mm -hmm. fair enough, times are hard. Um, But, you know, tell a friend if they're ever said I'm looking for a good podcast. Mm -hmm. That helps. Or leave us a review wherever you find the show, be it uh, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever. That also really, really helps a lot because... The more interaction those websites have, uh, the more often they recommend it to other people. Mm-hmm. And then we can expand if uh, we get a big enough audience and yeah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Um, is that it? Is that uh, do we have any other?
0: Uh, oh, I mean, we still have plenty. Well, let's um, let's e- do one more letter and then uh, we'll wrap it up for the this day. This
1: one comes from Fozzie. Oh, hi, Fozzie.
0: Yeah, uh, Fo- Fozzie is... Uh, one of our
1: listeners from long ago. Yeah.
0: We, we've we've known him. Uh, it's, it's addressed to Dearest Boobs and Hampton's Jitney. Fair. Alright. Boobs. I actually knew a young woman whose nickname was Boobs. Like, she welcomed it. It was, okay. a, it was weird to me. Wow. Uh, I was super excited when you said that Voyagers was going to be the topic of your next episode. Not only was the show fun and action-packed, but it was also the basis for my full-on sexual awakening <laughs> as a wee lass. Seeing John Eric Hexham in all his swashbuckling glory on screen created a strange but delightful stirring in my bathing suit area that I had never experienced before. (laughs) After Voyagers, I followed Hexham's career and sought out the TV movie the making of a male model and watched him in Hotel and Cover Up until the news broke of his death which left me heartbroken. Hexum is still my picture of the perfect man to this day. I can totally see that. (laughs) Can you both name the show's characters or actors that were the beginning of your sexual awakening with love,
1: (laughs) Fozzie? I'm always a little uncomfortable with this topic of conversation because I don't...
0: You don't like objectifying those actors and actresses? I I, I don't,
1: but like, you know, but to be perfectly honest, uh, my first... I remember my first two crushes. I can't remember who like, I saw first. like fictional character crushes. yeah I was just yeah. like uh, or, or actors. the fir- it was uh, Elizabeth Barrage and Amadeus. She, <laughs> okay she played she played Mozart's wife. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a small role, but she was great in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and but the the other one and the more kind of the more prominent one was Kim Catrell in the one two punch of Mannequin and Big Trouble in Little China. I was right, completely fair. in love with Kim Cattrall. <laughs> I just thought she was the best. She yeah. had a great personality. Obviously, she was gorgeous. Um, and uh, yeah, that for me, mm. I was just like, girls are neat. <laughs> like that was that was the moment for me. I,
0: I can't think. I don't think I got my sexual awakening from TV. Like I just got it from my peers, just looking okay. around at people around me.
2: That's and fine. I had t-
0: crushes on weird things, like kids from commercials and stuff. Mm. They were around my age. Like, oh, that that kid from the Capri Sun commercial looks like they're having fun. I'd like to go on a date with them.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> weird. Um,
0: uh, one, yeah. Of, so yeah, one of my like when I saw Imogen Borman in Hellraiser Two, it's like, why her? I don't know. She's pretty.
1: Oh, she was your and she was your age. <laughs> and she was at my time. age at so the time. Was fine, yeah. 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 Um. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. That sort of thing is really, really weird, and it must be really odd for an actor to know that, mm-hmm. you know, to know that there are like people who were coming of age, they were in high school or whatever, and you were one of their formative crushes.
2: Yeah, well, that's gotta be
1: odd.
0: Uh, I'm sh- surely there are certain actors, like John Cusack, for instance, probably gets
1: that all the time. I'm sure he does. Um, musicians probably get it a ton.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure musicians are like, well, okay. Uh, there's a question I've always, I've I've interviewed my share of actors and famous people, and there's a question I've always wanted to ask, like the heartthrobs or the sex symbols, you know, your Jude Laws or your Scarlett Johansson's, that I would never actually ask them, but I've always been curious about. You know, many married couples or dating couples like to play the game of you know, oh like you're given sort of a, a get out of fidelity free card with certain celebrities. You can mm-hmm. sleep. You have a list of celebrities you like get to sleep with. If the option
1: comes up and you can have and sex you can with, have
0: sex with ex celebrity, then by all means, no consequences. You get yeah. to do that. Surely, people like Jude Law or Scarlett Johansson realize they're on those couples' lists. Sure, they do. And if they're single and they're out in a bar and they see a married couple, do they walk up to the married couple and say, hey, I know I'm on your list. Let's go. Let's test this theory. I would love (laughs) that is a setup for a
1: really funny, like modern rom-com take on like, um, Mm. what's the word? Indecent Proposal. There you go. Like, you yeah, want to yeah, like, a funny, funny version of a A funny version propose. is like,
0: I know I'm a sex symbol around the world. I'm on magazine covers. I know you know who I am. I know you th- have thought about this and talked about it with your wife who's right here or okay. your husband who's right here. Let's go and I'm, see what happens. And the spouse has to make good on that. And it's the spouse's story. It's yeah,
1: like, I, I, I never. Actually do thought I, do it would do I come s- up.
0: do I sleep with the celebrity? I mean, we said I could, but do I actually get to do this? And now? are
1: you actually cool? You said you were, but what were the odds of it actually happening? Yeah, yeah. And now you have that? There's actually a funny story though. <laughs> someone should, uh, if someone writes that, they mm-hmm. you owe us money. That's right. Especially Whitney. But I was here, so I get like 5%. Uh,
0: just, just buy me groceries for a month or something. There we'll be go.
1: fine. Um, that's it for canceled Too Soon, everybody. Thank you for <laughs> listening. Uh, next week, we will be back with a review of a really interesting and very odd horror series mm-hmm. called Crazy Head. Uh, lasted for, I think, six episodes. It's a British series. It is very striking. It is very odd. And it is currently on Netflix, so it's pretty easy for you to catch up if you want to join us. In fact, it was produced by Netflix. No, I think it was only released by Netflix in America. Okay. It's not a Netflix original. It think.
0: says net, uh, produced by Netflix at the beginning of the show. So, um, may, yeah, maybe it was just distributed in, in There's America a bunch of ones Netflix, where, but, like, yeah. they're
1: made by Netflix, and there's a bunch of ones where they're presented by Netflix, but they're actually from oh, another okay. country, and they just brought it over mm. here. So, I'm not sure. We'll look it up. But, yeah, next week is Crazy Head, a recently canceled show. Yeah, because um, we've, we've delved a lot into the past lately, and we want to do something a little bit more recent. And we had a couple requests for this, and I watched the first episode, and it's nuts. So this should be a real fun Mm. watch. So everybody, thank you very, very much for listening. Uh, Don't forget, uh, we are on everything. We're on the Patreons. We're we're on the the Twitters. The the Twitters. I'm at William Bibbiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Together we are at Cancelled Cast and also Critic Acclaim. If you want to join us for those adventures as well. Thank you, everybody. Uh, That's a wrap. And um, see you next
2: season.